If you didn't know it until now, you are the Common Sense Nation. And this is Radio Free Almond. Good morning, you bunch of drunks. Ongoing American problem. It's a white people problem, but it's an American problem nonetheless. This kid border thing is going to get even crazier as the days go on. Believe me, I promise you. We've got our three camera shoot going soon. wore what's called my marijuana shirt today. Everybody thinks this is uh, marijuana leaf, and it's not. But it doesn't. You can't tell them it's not because they'll, they'll. But they'll keep insisting it is a marijuana leaf. I'll, uh, today, uh, there will not. There'll be something that is commented on today on the Facebook page of Beyond that I was wearing a marijuana shirt, and I'm not a real conservative and all that stuff. <laughs> Right. Uh, that'll 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 happen today. It's happened before mm-hmm. when I wore this uh, shirt before. It actually is this. This is like an athletic line of equipment and stuff like that and gear, and this is a uh, Japanese maple leaf. People, it's a Japanese maple leaf. It's not a marijuana leaf. 
listen, I support uh, medical marijuana. I support, uh, I believe, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not really menaced by the marijuana thing, to tell you the truth. And so even legalizing, I'm not really all that much of a weirdo about it. But I'm not saying you're a weirdo if you are for illegalizing it still, but I'm just saying I'm not, I'm not really too weirded out about it. But, uh, but this is not a marijuana shirt, okay? Can we tell people this first and foremost? It's not. And if we could scroll something on the bottom of the screen, not a marijuana shirt. Disclaimer. Because people do get very upset about that. It's like, really? Okay, it's not. It's a Japanese maple leaf. It does look like, I, I, listen, it looks like marijuana. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm telling you that. I'm, and a I'm green, telling you you're, green shirt. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm telling you you're an idiot if you think it looks oh, like wow. marijuana. You can really see it with the shoot. Like, I can right see on. it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, that's right, buddy. I can see it. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, we'll follow up on the uh, border deal because now they're thinking of uh, testing for DNA. And here comes Dr. Mengele references. <laughs> oh, and they've gotten their trifecta now because they had the showers, the concentration camp thing, and then they're going to have doctors down there who are testing the kids that, that, that's going to go over really well mm-hmm. <laughs> you know As they march to the showers <laughs> yeah right mm-hmm. i mean it's going to be they're going to go crazy on this one i'll follow up on that for you a little bit later on and then we have the bill that was uh, introduced by ted cruz which apparently is getting a lot of support they're just basically going to have other facilities to keep the families together there's nothing wrong with that i'm i'm glad as you pointed out yesterday phil it kind of lets us off the hook a little bit too to a certain degree because we're not defending separating families even though it's defensible under the enforcement of the law it's just hard to defend on its face because everybody's like you hate children and so that's so this makes it a little easier on us let's put it that way in terms of following the letter of the law and you know, I still believe in the no-tolerance no law. I still believe in that. Uh, I'm still supportive of that. But if you can make it easier for me to defend it, thank you. I'm good. I'm good. So there was a little bit of an accident on uh, King's Highway heading down here to Gaslight. And I took a little detour, so I went down to the, uh, the convenience store where you can still see the accident. So I go and get my uh, Renoco coffee at the uh, convenience store. I forgot what it was called. What's your favorite convenience? What do you like? Quick trips or do you I'm like? A, I'm a QT guy. QT guy, yeah, oh, for sure. QTs are good. QTs are uh, quick trips are good. QTs they they're the ones that have like the 700 different kinds of iced teas, correct? They have a good selection if you like iced tea. Yeah. If you like iced tea, uh-huh. and if you like sugar, especially su- sweetened mm-hmm. iced tea, which mm-hmm. I don't, but if you do, and you want, you know. Mango iced tea right. or mm-hmm. pineapple iced tea or whatever they got that for you. Oh, right there on tap. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it you was... don't like sugar in your iced tea? No, dude, I'm an unsweetened oh. sugar uh, tea guy. Wow. Yeah, I can't. I can't do sugar tea. Hmm. You know, a lot of people have to have it. You know, especially people from the south and their sweet tea. You know what I mean? No. But I, uh, I tend to uh, like mine just the way it it is. You know. And I've never, my, my mom used to make sun tea, like out in the yard, you know. Yeah. And it was just unsweetened tea. Unsweetened, I like unsweetened black tea even more. But anyway, so we're out there, I'm out there in the uh, convenience store, and this old guy, I don't know what he was doing there, but he's uh, looking out the window at, every, at the accident, and he's like, 
that blind black son of a bitch. I'm like, well, really, dude? It's a black guy. Right. <laughs> black people are harder on other black people, you know? They call it like they see it, that's for sure, with yeah. each other. I will, I will agree with that. Well, <laughs> I don't know why he had to throw in the black part there. Yeah, well. Blind black son of a bitch. Yep. Man, rain a stop sign. Can't believe it. Do it all the time over there. Last time I ran into a, a bus, a metro bus, everybody had to get off the bus. It's like, okay, gotcha. But yeah, I was a little shocked. Like, dude, like white people, when they criticize other white people, they don't use, they don't use the white part of it. No, no, they don't. Dumb white bastard? No. We don't say that. We no, don't no. say things like that. Nope. No. We don't, we don't do that. That'd be weird if we did. If I heard somebody say that, I think that would be a little weird. Like we would, you wouldn't hear us say "white ass hoe." <laughs> you know what I mean? Never heard anybody actually say. I that, wouldn't. No. I would. I'm no. Uh, maybe the pimps of evil might use that kind of terminology, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't use that terminology. Good morning, everybody. We're already classing the place up here in the Discovery Design Studio. So, did you see? By the way, oh, here's one. I love these little uh, the morning. Here's a morning factoid for you. Did you know? I love these. You know, when you listen to these some of these radio shows, and the DJs have to like throw in a fact as they're running up to, you know, as they're as they're, as they're trying to hit the post on a fog hat tune. Did you know? By the way, before we get to the slow ride, everybody, uh, it's a slow ride to work. Speaking of that, because of the traffic out there. Speaking of slow ride, here, let me see if I can. Let me see, let me see if I can do that. Oh, I had something all set up here. Let me just do this real quickly. People, stand by because uh, stand by and, and busy yourselves with uh, uh, with uh, the rest of the um, the rest of this, your day. Take a break. Take a break. I'm, I'm actually going to have to buy it. That's okay. I'll go ahead and buy it. I'll pay ninety nine cents for this kind of unbelievable radio magic. You kidding me? For the song Why, slow ride? For the, for the, for, well, for mm-hmm. the slow ride mm-hmm. and the talk up to the slow ride mm-hmm. and the factoid that comes along with, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. with the talk up to the slow ride from, from Foghat. Is there anybody actually on the airwaves still really playing Foghat? They're, um, they're actually not half bad of a band. Fool for the City, I heard, on the radio not too long ago. Oh, I, yeah, crank, yeah. I cranked it up, so I remember. But uh, I'm surprised it's not in a commercial yet. Mm. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, listen to this. 97.5 here in beautiful O'Fallon. All the weather's crazy out there on the streets. It's raining, so slow down for your slow ride. By the way, you know, everybody has the same breakfast every day. Again, because I didn't, I, I kind of got the factoid in at the tail end. So, what I should probably do is start the, with the factoid and then get into the weather and then hit the post on the, on the slow ride. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to do that mm-hmm. this time? Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting fact for all you waking up. Did you know most of you are probably having the same breakfast because Americans do it every day, the same breakfast every day. Be careful out there, by the way. The weather is crazy. The streets are wet. You're in for a slow ride this morning. Nailed it. Take it easy. 
that's what you got to get the fact weight out first. The other stuff's all. That was awesome, man. You know, we're, yeah. Your radio station with just music would be a really great DJ at that. I'm sure. But my boss would have yelled at me because they didn't get the call letters in. Didn't get the call letters in. Hey, great show today. By the way, that break, Jamie, which you see, I'm fired on air guy who's the programmer. Uh, Jamie, uh, really, really great thing, Stormy. Stormy White is your is your is your programming director. He's the guy, you know. He, Stormy Miller, Dusty, Stormy Miller. <laughs> Programming Dusty Johnson out there somewhere because I, I used to you know I did uh, for a while there in country music uh, as Dusty Miller so I've kept that name Jamie now I'm your boss yeah. running the station hey Dusty but oh great to show today Jamie uh, the only problem is you just didn't uh, get the call letters a great hit in the post there on the Fog Hat tune there at six mm-hmm. uh, thirteen but you just didn't hit the get the call, get the call letters in as much as you can okay right. Glad we had this talk. Yeah. Right. Don't forget the $1,000 contest either. For, oh, to listen. So let me do this again. I'll get this right, okay? Awesome. It's a rock 97 morning here, and boy, is it crazy out there. The weather is going crazy. Yeah. Shoot that up. Hold on a second. Let me do this again. I started. I didn't start with the factoid, like I said. Oh, okay. Then I'll get to things. Hold, hold on, people. Just have a little fun here first. Leave me alone. People, people are laughing, man. <clears throat> well, thank you, Phil. Thank you, everybody, I'm for just laughing. Saying, man, Brand, Brandy's, Brandy's laughing. Let's do, let's do another one here. I mean, okay, I'll try this. I get the call letters in, so the boss, so Stormy Miller's okay with that, and Dusty, mm-hmm. his assistant's okay. Right. It's time for real. We're on. Right. Okay. Hold on. It's a rock 77 morning here, and would you believe most of you out there are probably having the same breakfast you had yesterday. Yes, Americans have the same breakfast every day, according to a recent survey. By the way, my survey says the weather, crazy, the roads, wet. You're in for a slow ride this morning, everybody. That'll make the... Uh, that'll make the... the the post-show meeting go well. Way to get the call every so Jamie. Thank you, Dave. Is it Rock 77? Yeah, Rock 77. This makes me a better song that's getting credit for, don't you believe? This song kicks ass. Yeah, I mean, it's really a good song. <laughs> no question. I mean, near the end, the drummer, the build, it speeds up. Way better band than a lot of people think. Hey, fun to say. The guy's like shooting his fingers out. That's no fingertips. At the skating rink when I was growing up, this was when everybody had to get off the off the off the wood there and get to the sides and all the teenager dudes it was all skate for just guys. And so we would just clear through little kids and all the little, all the long haired hippie dudes would get out there and all ass around there. It's so cool, so cool. I admired them. I'm sure, that was like a sh- that was a show though. You know those guys that they were the coolest thing on earth, right? Because yeah. people were watching them, you know. They're all backwards, like forty <laughs> miles per hour. Flowing <laughs> long hair. Right. Yeah, right. Leonard Skinner 
Jack bell bottoms. Right. Oh, exactly. Bell bottoms. Bell bottom. Uh, they're hockey skates. Did you rock a pair of bell bottoms? I bet you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. I did that. Um, not, not true. Because I was, you know, I had a pair of uh, white bell bottoms. I like. Oh, so, so you were that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you? Uh, did you do the? You didn't do the figure skates. You were hockey skates. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was nobody. No, none of the dudes were there. I'm gonna get beat up in the parking lot. Kill! Song kicks Had you had to have Levi's. If you wound up with those, uh, my mom, she was never, never given to get, would just refuse to get me like brand name stuff some most of the time. You know, so. Just paying for the label. She was absolutely right, of course. But still, I didn't want some ghetto Lee jeans. Rustlers. Yeah, Rustlers. Oh, man, that was that was the... That was a Target brand, an adventure <laughs> brand or something. Yeah, man. Yeah. If you didn't get your jeans from Colonel Days, <laughs> right. you were not accepted into the, into the next water pipe session. Right. Stay out of the smoking area. Yeah. Colonel days. Yeah, but we were... Yeah, but you know, some kids had to, but my mom always... I did manage to get a pair of Levi's to talk her into that. But... He must have got handicaps, too. You know? Oh, yeah. That's all I, I, that's all I wore. I think mostly were my brother's clothes. And, but they didn't have, you know, like the, like the school and that's where you had to wear like formal stuff and wear their, their clothes. This is an eight minute song. Do you right. know that? Because of the end, it's so awesome. We're about to go into the end. It's great song. Fool for the City is a really good song, too. So, what they do on the radio when they had to have an eight minute song, aside from go out and blow, blow a bone? That's what they did. Oh, that's why it was such a great song for a. For the jocks to play, because they could go outside. But what they do for, you know, like a KSLQ, do they just kind of... Hope you like that song, everybody. Goodbye. Just turn it off. Right. Yep. I mean, what else are you going to do? Well, I can't keep this going, dude. Let me just go down here a little bit. I'll, here. Is this it? Now they're speeding up. Which is hard to do. Don't tell me these guys are all dead. I still. I don't know. I heard their name mentioned. Not, not maybe in the last five or six, seven years. I heard something about them, but I don't know. Maybe it was somebody died. All the really great shows, except I heard you speeding up. Fog hat. They had some energy left after seven minutes, seven seconds. Give it an audience out there a little treat. Let's go music. Here we go. Got it. Here we go. Got it. Now they're going to. 
guys. That was really good. Way to go. That was rock. That was rock. <laughs> rock 77. <laughs> Thanks for mentioning it, Phil, as a matter of fact. So this uh, border thing. By the way, you see the news, too, today that uh, food stamp applications are at an all-time low right now. Now, I've always... I've always support. I've always supported the food stamp program. You know, like when it comes to welfare and things like that, I never considered food stamps to be one of those things that. It's weird. Republicans would always go after them. You know, the you know food stamp cuts and things like that. I'm thinking, I would think you'd want to go after, or or at least look for abuse or do whatever before you just cut food stamp programs because it's the one program if. If the government's going to steal my tax dollars and redistribute them, it's the one program I could probably defend and feel better about when they uh, is would be the food stamp program. Yeah, because there are a lot of people who use them who really are just like seriously like in the middle of some kind of job loss or they are. You know, something happened. Something catastrophic might have happened. Somebody might have had like a huge you know, medical emergency and they're, and suddenly they just, their income has been drained or what have you, or some people don't have jobs. Some people are temporarily laid off, you know, temporary layoffs, that kind of thing. And so food stamps fill a, a need there, a void there. Uh, and, and they're, you know, easy to use and, and they're just, and I know they're abused. I know people do, for instance, sometimes in other areas, sell them like they, they they barter them, and they'll sell food stamps to somebody for cash. So then they use the cash for booze or whatever. Yeah, and I, I've, I, I've had an offer before outside of a yeah. liquor store. Have you? Somewhere. Yeah, people walk up. Back in the day, but now did illegal? Did, did you take illegal, him up on it? I did. I helped him out. Do did do or did illegal immigrants? Are they able to get food stamps in in that? today i don't think so i mean i i mean i really that that's the other problem i have with the whole immigration situation and illegal aliens and people who support them you're really abusing you're really just abusing them you're really just supporting this itinerant nomadic subculture of people who really don't can't even really partake of the system i think some of them might be able to, I don't know. I think some people with like a, I, I really actually couldn't answer that question, but it's not to my knowledge that 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 illegal aliens are getting welfare. But they're supported in other ways and, and uh, ultimately are taxes on the system. But more than anything else, they're also, and some of them do actually have, uh, they might have a green car that is expired but they're still on they're still receiving assistance i don't know but and and the illegal immigrants on welfare probably can't don't amount to a significant enough number for it to be like a huge i mean our system is drained by a number of different liabilities and and actually social security is one of them even though and before i get in trouble over social security keep in mind social security is not it is an entitlement, and people will argue that it's not because they pay into it. But you're paid back three to one, so it is an entitlement. You're you're getting three times the money you're putting in uh, to Social Security if you're if you're going to get it at all. 
if many of you who, if you're 50, 55, whatever, and you probably will, if you're 35 or 30, if that money's around, it'll be a, a good thing, but it'll be kind of a miracle because they're, they're just spending it. Your money's already spent because my Social Security, what I'm putting into Social Security now is paying my mother. So that that's that's the money. So I don't. The, at one point, they're not going to be able to catch up necessarily. But the money I'm putting into the system now is it money? They're saying, "Oh, look, well, let's we'll just say this for you, Jamie." Now they're they're spending it on my mother or yeah. your mother or whatever. yeah. I know some people in that group, like you, and not so much me, but like you, who are paying in and paying in, and they're like, "Well, it's going to run out." Thank God, it's our parents are going to get what they yeah. were promised. We're whatever happens. Thank God they're going to get what they were promised. Right. And that's where you're, that's what you're saying. Which is why it's so ridiculous when we have arguments over trying to resolve the social security system. The Democrats and others will always say, you you know, you're stealing from the elders or you're, you're hurting the, the the older population or you're, I forgot the word they normally use, but you're abusing the, your elders. Nobody, it never affects them. It, 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 but but they want to make like they they like the whole idea of the wheelchair and grandma going off, off the cliff. The cliff yeah. They like that, but that, that there's no way in hell these people are affected in any way negatively by those situations. It's only people for the future, and I do believe in ultimately a prorated system. I'd rather them just let me keep my money, and you know, write me write me out. You know, just give me, I'll make a deal with you. American government, you give me 67% of what I paid in, Mm -hmm. and then you can keep the rest. And then let's just close off the system. Stop making 27-year-olds pay into it. Stop deceiving them that they're going to see the money, and let them keep the money. Uh, But the problem is they can't because, again, they're using that because they spent it, so they have to use it to pay the people who are currently on. So so it's a never-ending cycle of having to keep continually feed the beast and 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 pay people so that's why you never see this kind of grandfathering in or grandfathering out let's say of people Mm -hmm. because you're just because you can't because they need my money and they need the money of the 35 year old and they'll need the money of the 27 year old to pay ultimately my social security whatever if i get it so that's how it works. But anyway, I, I think ultimately there needs to be some addressing of that because that is a huge entitlement, huge liability on the government right now, not to mention the medical, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, that, mm-hmm. that being a huge outlay for the government that hasn't been resolved yet. But anyway, good news that the food stamp program is now drastically, applications have reduced because people are working more. That's what it is. I think I was yeah. wondering if maybe it was to self deportation and if it was just people, if illegals were coming off the rolls, that's maybe how no, people are just it's, normal it's, people. It's, yeah. Man. But I, I've, but, so I've always supported it because I think that, that as a, as a useful thing and you can actually see it in action and yeah, there is abuse and you hear about it, but I don't think there's as much abuse as is to say it's a horrible program. Cause I do know, I guarantee you if once we, and by the way, we're going to have ultimately we're in a period of transition regarding equipment, regarding things we're doing, regarding upgrades and things like that. It's kind of a moving parts thing for all of you folks to know. And so eventually we're going to have phones and we're going to have people calling in on the lines. But if I were to open up a line 
or if I were to open up the phone lines, and I could even open up Facebook for that matter, and say, hey, tell me about your food stamp experience, I guarantee you I'll get you know, seven people who otherwise would have voted for Trump or call themselves conservatives or whatever who have used food stamps or somebody in their family or somebody who has used food stamps for a time. And to me, that's all I need to know about the program and all I need to, to know to defend that particular program of all programs probably is one that, that is, is a good thing. Do you see Kirsten Nielsen... She's in a D.C. restaurant, and apparently there were members of the Democratic Socialists of America there as well. And at the restaurant, I wonder what restaurant it was. Let's see. They, they, I don't think they said a lot of good restaurants in D.C. Uh, let's. I, you know, for some reason, I and maybe you can. I I can't. I can't off my computer play Twitter videos. Uh, that's weird. I, it is weird. I, I but I can't. Pl- I mean, I'm, I'm going to play a video for you here that I have, but I can't. I can't play Twitter like Twitter videos for some reason. And just in the threads, you can't just click play. The Apple Jesus says no. Hmm. And when Apple says no, <laughs> you, you got to take it for what it is. I'm sure there's some thing in here. There's some deal in there. Are you getting a spinning wheel? No, it just it just won't. I can I can stab at the arrow all day long and it won't happen. But yeah, there's, there's, there's have you been to DC before? No. Well, it's beautiful. I, I want to go, dude. You should go. My daughters have been for the March for Life, <clears throat> all that stuff, the Rosati and all the buses going. Yeah, and they loved it. And I've just never been. I mean, I want to go. I want to go. See I, it, that, hearing that from you makes me actually want to take you personally. Mm-hmm. Let's do it now up there. Because you need to, you need, Phil of all people needs to go to D.C. You'd be crazy. As ate up as you are, you'd love D.C. Okay. You'd never forget it. I'm just kidding. But no, you would, no, you would, you would appreciate it. Oh, Because you're, you're an appreciative Absolutely. person. I have relatives that are buried there, too. Yeah, I mean, things mean something to you, Absolutely. which is kind of odd in this world. You can't find people like that very often. Except people who listen to this show and, like, where they have this element of sentimentality. What we need more of that. We appreciate things, but no, man, I can't believe you haven't been up there. Nope, I've been in New York a bunch of times, but just never been there. You know what? I bet you would really love is to be up there and go up there on an honor flight, yeah, with somebody, yeah. You know, be a company, one of our oh, vets on an honor flight. I get you hooked I get, up with that I get the emo. USO. I get emo, man. I get emo. Yeah, but but you would you would really take that. But but honor flights are like up and back, so you that would be one thing. But but to be to, be, to see all the to see DC the first time I ever saw, for instance, the White House because I never went as a kid, so I didn't go to DC. I didn't see DC to uh, until maybe after I was uh, maybe even after nine eleven, two thousand one. I didn't actually ever go to D.C. Oh, so you weren't there when it was more relaxed security and you could drive yeah, down K, no. you could drive past it. No. I, oh, okay. I don't think so. I might have been there maybe. I can't remember. But uh, I do know that when I did go there after that for work, it was really a great, great, beautiful place. And it just – it really is. I mean, it'll it'll hit you, man. It'll It's really amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. 
And, you know, for all the monuments and everything else, I remember saying that, uh, that normally, you know, as Americans, you know, you, you or whatever it happens to be, you don't really, you don't worship a stone. But these mean something, though. These are, these are different than seeing the Washington Monument, seeing the Jefferson Memorial, seeing the Lincoln Memorial, mm-hmm. seeing the, the glass pond and... Mm-hmm. You know, seeing that what what Martin Luther King saw from the steps, you know, of the mm-hmm. Lincoln Memorial, you know, seeing the the U.S. Capitol, which is actually my least favorite place, just because of what goes on there. It's almost like a, you know, mm-hmm. I want to see that too, though. It's the house of the pimps of evil. people. I don't know, but the White House is really cool. I mean, it's just and we I I went when I went with Aiden to the inauguration, we. uh we actually took a cab out to Mount Vernon. It was great. So, I mean, it just is a beautiful, very storied, humbling. And, of course, Arlington is unbelievable. So, yeah, you ought to go out there. But it's a great place, some great restaurants out there. And it's even better, like, if you're a young, straight male, mm-hmm. it's even better because all the guys up there are gay. So you you, you have, you know, so you, so you have the run of the place if you're a straight mm-hmm. male. I'll bring my drummer. Yeah. Single straight male. There you go. He'd love DC. He and, and, and he, because there are a lot of beautiful women up there. And, you know, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, they're all working government or whatever else, but um, they can't find a man because the men are all gay mm-hmm. in DC. Most of them are. Um, 85% maybe. Mm-hmm. So you, you have it's a good, good odds. You have yeah. a, you have mm-hmm. a good, mm-hmm. uh, easy pickings up there in DC. Anyway, so DC. So Nielsen is there, and she's uh, the, the Homeland Security Secretary. So she's eating in a restaurant, which, of course, by itself must be uh, just a debacle, because how could you be eating at a restaurant while children are being detained at the border? So, of course, you know the optics there, and then they yell at her. They're not happy with her. Here, hold on a second. It's on. Um, I can't. Oh, it's on. <laughs> Walking with the cameras. This is actually from the protesters. I knew they'd make that connection at that point, right? Yeah, how can you be at the restaurant while they're being separated by their parents? And the easy answer is, well, I'm not committing a crime by being here at the restaurant. There's the first answer. Can you imagine, like, and then the other people all eating at the restaurant are just mm-hmm. looking at it. How can you enjoy a Mexican dinner as you're deporting and imprisoning Tens of thousands of people who come here seeking asylum in the United States. We call on you to end family separation. That's where you need a bouncer to basically grab the guy by his throat Mm -hmm. and have him out of there in a second. How this restaurant tolerates somebody screaming in the restaurant for any more than 10 seconds is beyond me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's I'm sure it's a nice restaurant, too. So, yeah, you know, And, and she has security. So yeah. by now they should have had their fingers in the guy's throat, but 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 they they just let the guy scream, you know. That's that voice too is just such the stereotypical. It's the same voice, voice. that we heard it's earlier. Staggering how similar. It's like the same guy is doing everything. It's just like, 
and he's so passionate. He's so you know feeling it. It's, I just want to. It's like who hurt you? I used to have some stingers back at the dinosaur station I played, mm-hmm. and this this is the same guy. <laughs> you should be so proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. That guy. Yeah. You should be for, you should be ashamed of yourself for supporting the fur industry. That that guy. Right. Right. There's another guy who chased some woman who uh with the, the incoming uh DeVos. And they chased her around when she that's first right. got appointed to the uh, that, Secretary Betsy, of Education, Betsy, Betsy DeVos. DeVos. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. DeVos, DeVos. Yeah. She is DeVos. So they chased her around and yelled. I think this is the same guy. I think these guys are all members of the same family. Loudmouthist. And there's always that one hag with them. Yeah. The one loudmouth hag. She's the one who screamed a while back, I hope your wife gets raped so she can't have an abortion. That one, that's the same one. I think she screamed that that one, the rape abortion one. I think she screamed like some candidate's wife or, or some guy's, mm-hmm. uh, some candidate for. I can't remember who that was. Shame! 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 I mean, how long are these security people going to put up with this? How long is this restaurant going to put up with this? How is it possible that this is even remotely acceptable at a private establishment? And I realize the secretary is a public figure. I get it. But she's in a private restaurant. And this is um, this is a minute into this tape. These people, first of all, should never even been able to wander through the door. I was going to say, how'd they get in? Were they all sitting waiting? Was it a setup? Are they stalking her? I don't understand the setup because if a group of people walk in, obviously they're there to start trouble. They're not even patronizing the place and getting a water. I don't even understand how they would be allowed to. Not to mention, how do they even know she's there, which mm-hmm. ought to be disturbing enough? How many of you know where the Secretary of uh, Homeland Security is, right. is Somebody on a regular stalking. basis. And I'm sure they all have their phones out like this, so they look like a group, you know. Yeah. I get it. Shame! Shame! I mean, how, I mean, how long are you going to put up Shame! 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 I said shame, shame, shame. Mm. Shame on you. I'm going to play that song. I mean, honestly, this is... I'll drop a beat to that when I get home. I'll, ridiculous. I'll, make, I'll turn that into a song You should. It. I will. I will. But, but, but how long are they going to put up with this as it goes... I play it... For, well, I'll play it more for you and see how... See, shame, see how long they go before shame, they... Shame! 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 Shame, 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 shame,
security they just have have her surrounded by people dancing to shit that would be more entertaining that would be really cool yeah you know mm-hmm. when did the body slam come though when did the when did the bouncers actually when did it actually end oh, let me see I, I you know i don't know but shame 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 on them it's a great song isn't it that's a you like I haven't that? Heard that in a long time oh yeah oh, man god that's okay. shirley and company yeah. people that's from 1975. Matt, that's a good thing that uh, came from 1975. Uh, Crappy cars, we're making but Shirley and company. Mm-hmm. But that's a list. It's you know? List. Mm-hmm. And she has a voice, too. This, I think her name is Shirley. Mm-hmm. I, I've been bank on it. I'll bet you. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to tell stuff right here. Dell Records presents the so best hits of the 70s. She's with some bearded dude there. What's she so that? Just to the Can't stop me now. Here while I sit. <laughs> he looks like, feet want to move, he looks so like old George. Get out of my way. I'm gonna have my say. I'm going to everything to tell If you get the notion, you can't stop the group Cause you just won't move Got my sunroof down, got my diamond in the back Put on your shaggy ring, move it if you thought I Who is that guy? That's Prince? I don't know, that's pretty he's cool in, And he's only in company, right? Cause Shirley's right there with the bearded Don't stop 
Ford. The white dude is awesome, by the way. Uh, Shirley is great, too, but the guy is... The guy who's uh, pulling a lot of the freight when it comes to the vocals is... Uh, the white dude? The, the white dude. Yeah, that's him. That's a new... That guy. Wow. I didn't know that. I'm surprised Prince didn't cover this one. Surely. So let me see what happened to let me see what happened to these people. Yeah, where's the mugshots? <laughs> this is uh, one minute and thirty five seconds in. Shame on Trump! Shame on Trump! Shame on Nielsen! Shame on Trump! Shame on Nielsen! Shame on Trump! Shame on Nielsen! Actually, you know what? No, this is back time. So let me just go back to the beginning. So this is 10 minutes these people are in this place, at least as far as the... Save her. Kirsten Nielsen will lock up your kids, no hesitation. Remember what her face looks like. Shame! 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 So they, Shame. I think, you know what, they're, 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 it's Shame. 10 minutes they're in this restaurant. Shame. Shame. 10 Shame. minutes. Shame. Well, Shame. I'd have been having a comp Shame. meal, dude, if Shame. I was in there eating. Shame. I'm not paying for any of this. Shame. I would give Shame. them a comp meal Shame. and it would be my fist. Shame. Mm -hmm. Here, have my, have my fist Shame. on a half shell. Seriously though, where where are where are the people when with the security when you need them, you know? By the way, there was a reference in Shame, Shame, Shame when the guys go, I got my diamonds in the back. Yeah, I heard that line. I didn't quite understand that. What's that? Uh, I know you know what this is though. This is one of the best songs ever. Curtis Mayfield with his uh It is, uh, I don't know, something in the back, like in the back. 
before shame 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 because this is where uh, where they got the diamond line he mentions diamond back Said that no, Lowell, no, it can't Lowell be Lowell George. George. That's okay. Lowell George from somebody, Little Feet. Somebody said that in the comments. So I said he, I said at the beginning he looked like Lowell you George, did? but mm-hmm. somebody said he that is Lowell George. That's what somebody says, but I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. But that would kind of make sense. And uh, kind of, kind of thought it at first, and you know that. Band. But there's no way. Could he hit those kind of? Um, it- I, I think he could. But no, wait, wait a minute though. That was 1975. Lowell George was dead by then. Oh. So now, if that's Lowell George, that's a miracle. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Lowell George was dead by then, I think. But he looked, he definitely looks like Lowell George. But Lowell George died in uh, 1969, so I don't oh, think wow. uh, that I, could be him. I like to look into that band. I really don't know much about that band. I bet you, if you looked up Shirley and Company, they'd tell you who the bearded guy was. I'll find out. Or you know what? Nowadays, you can just Google who was the bearded guy in <laughs> Shirley and Company. Right. You know. <laughs> No, you know, I dare you to look up, look up who was the bearded, bearded twosome mm-hmm. in the 70s. <laughs> American disco group, Shirley Goodman, Jason Alvarez, now a pastor. Is he? That's somebody telling you who he is. Jesus Alvarez. Jesus Alvarez. Ja- it's it's, it's uh, Jason Alvarez. He's now a pastor? That's what it says. wonder where he is. Boy, I'd like to get him on the air. Wouldn't it be great to talk to him? 
That song hit number 12 on U.S. Pop. Oh, Church. hell yeah. You know it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did well everywhere in the world, actually. Number one. Wow. Number one in Austria. So they, of course, yeah, those, those Europeans odd. love our, they love did. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They love that disco stuff. They couldn't do it themselves, except I do think that the, um, well, ABBA and those people were pretty good. They held I love their own, ABBA. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Europeans, right? Mm-hmm. So they held their own there. Absolutely. I love that. Band. So Jason Alvarez. Okay, now look up. This is why I don't go I to see sleep. a picture of him real quick. Now like look up. Cuban born. Wow, really? Yeah. Now look up Jason Alvarez on Google and see. And, so, and he's a pastor now. He is. And let's find him. He's a Christian musician, worship leader, guitarist, and wow. pastor. He must be. He must be like. In his 70s or 80s, at least. Born in 51, so he's 11 years younger than my... That can't be right. 51, so he was he was 24 or something, 25 okay. when he sang yeah. this song. Yeah. And so he must be, must be there. Yeah. Still kicking. We have so much fun. I forgot who I was having on today. Let me see. Jim Talent's on in a, in a few here. Oh. Let me see what time I said, said he was going to be supposed to be on. Ah, <sighs> 7 a.m. CST, baby. That's where we're going to have Jim Talon on. But yeah, you can you imagine? Now, now let, let me ask you this, people out there, people of the American nation, people of the common sense nation, people of Radio Free Almond, where is it? Just ask yourself this as you are, because I'm, I'm not trying to brag on us or anything, but just, just ask yourself, uh, what other radio show that comes to you absolutely free with the push of a button or on your Facebook page, what other radio show could possibly meld concentration campy kids at the border, Antifa loudmouths in the D.C. restaurant, the Department of Homeland Security secretary, Shirley and Company, Curtis Mayfield, and an explanation of Jason Alvarez, all in one topic. How could that possibly be that you cannot find that to be a miracle upon miracles and a and a thing that you should appreciate and love? And it's on a three camera shoot. Count them one, two, three. And lit by lamps from Bed Bath and Beyond. Unbelievable. I don't know how. I don't know how anybody can just say, you know what? I'm satisfied. If I just collapse today, I will have lived it all. You had me at Fog Hat. Yeah. So I oh, was, I didn't even mention I Fog was Hat. I right there. I was like, this is I the best yeah. day, best show I ever. I didn't even mention Fog Hat, mm-hmm. Phil. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I don't know where people are going to get this kind of vibe. And you're probably stuck in traffic, so you're enjoying that. And I'm not going to some kind of stop set or something where I'm going to have eight minutes of whatever. Now, believe me, we're sponsored and we're getting sponsored. And Mm -hmm. thank you to Discovery Design for the studio. And the Pootie Wellness is coming on board. We have uh, Santino coming on board, cigars and cocktails, which is great. I I still have to put a Facebook page up, a post about that. Mattress King is supporting the show now. And Mattress King is very cool, actually. It sounds like, oh, Mattress King, another mattress store. No, these guys are pretty cool. The, the, the filling of the mattress is bamboo, and it's really a comfortable mattress. And the guy, like, is basically sells by appointment, and these mattresses are just 75% the price you're going to pay anyplace else. I went out there to see him. And, uh, and but anyway, so we have advertisers. But, we're, we're, but even when we have a full boat of advertisers, we're not going to go away for seven minutes and then come back. 
Because first of all, that's not, to me, that's not giving advertisers the most of what they should get. Because I guarantee you about halfway through a stop set, the likelihood is that people punch out anyway. They're going someplace else and they're doing something else. So they're not listening to the commercial you're paying good money for. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but so when we're sponsored and we're up full, we've got a seamless way. We have a brand new way of kind of like putting everything in that's going to give you a different radio experience. But I digress. This that's awesome, little man. mix right that's here. You take, I'm glad. You take this little, you know, this little segment, which was an hour. Mm-hmm. And you tell me that you can't that there's that anybody can beat that no eclecticism <clears throat> yeah just tell it we I, I informed you we informed you we entertained you we wowed you we disgusted you I don't think we disgusted you but you know nonetheless we we there are all kinds of ways we can we can jab at your emotions here. Do you want to uh, go? Let's get because Jimmy's going to be on with us in just a couple minutes. So we're going to do our national anthem and then treat you to a little bit, and then we'll be back. Yes, it's Radio Free Almond from the Discovery Design Studios, and now, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light? What so proudly we hailed At the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight O'er the ramparts we watched Were so gallantly streaming And the
I uh, bought this. One of my first albums I ever bought was this uh, Young Americans. Hello. Good morning, Jimmy Talon. How you doing, buddy? I'm fine. How are you, Jimmy? Uh, just fine, thank you. Here with Phil Valencia, just hanging out. And Good morning, Jim. Having a get old time, but also running through all the craziness regarding this whole border situation. Now, I was warning people that uh, today. Uh, Jim, there's consideration of using doctors to possibly try to find out whether or not the, the these are real parents, and it's kind of now got into the point where all these references they're dealing with, like DNA tests to verify parents of immigrant tr- children, because there's some suggestion that there are some people just sending children over here 
and they're not even really the children of the parents. And so now suddenly we've got the concentration camp reference, we've got the shower reference, and wait till you see the Dr. Mengele reference. I mean, it's getting really out of hand, although I'm glad the Republicans came up with an alternative. I think Ted Cruz's plan is a good one. What's your take on all this? Well, we have to care for the kids. I mean, we have a practical problem and we want to take care of them. But, you know, family separation, Jamie, is one of the downsides of crime, which is what we're talking about here. So, yes. I mean, and it happens all the time to Americans. I mean, if, if, if you go out, which you would not do, but if you go out and committed a crime and you were arrested and the government thought that that there was a high likelihood of you skipping if you you know skipping trial if you were released you would stay in jail Jamie and if you were the sole custodian of minor children they would be taken from you and made wards of the court and put either with relatives or in the foster care system it happens thousands of times a day in the United States to Americans and that's essentially the situation i mean Look, these these immigrants are illegally here. Uh, they came to the border knowing that they shouldn't come. They brought kids, whether it was their own or somebody else's, knowing that they shouldn't do that. They abused our laws and uh, took advantage of our openness. And we could just, you know, send them back right away. But we give them the opportunity to apply for asylum. And while that's pending, uh, we, we don't release them because that would be exactly what they want. That's the whole point, to get over the border, albeit illegally, and then disappear into the population. So we have to take care of their children. And uh, obviously, we need more resources to do it. If, if We're going to need even more resources, though, if, if we don't follow the policy and the law, because then more and more people are going to see bringing a kid with them as the ticket to getting into the United States. And we'll just see more and more. It's the magnet effect. Yeah. Cause so, right. I, mean, I don't. Yeah. yeah Jimmy, well, right now though, that that's the, that's the problem with the widespread outrage and the images of a crying statue of Liberty uh, that we're going to get, because right now there's this insinuation that there is some deal where, um, where, where, hey, this is uh, this is terrible, and I'm sure people who are planning on trying to get over here are anticipating that they might actually get a break from individuals, and uh, specifically people at the border because they're embarrassed about detaining kids or whatever, and then they're going to just simply let them go. So as to your magnet effect, absolutely, but the reality is we have to at some point finally deliver – on the promise of sealing our borders and preventing people from coming over here illegally. And it's interesting how this was going on during Barack Obama. In fact, that was proven over the Memorial Day weekend when the left decided that they were going to show a picture purportedly of kids in a cage under Trump when it's actually kids in a cage under Obama. And there wasn't a peep about all this. Well, no, there's there hasn't been a peep about it. I have a little bit different perspective on all this, Jamie, because I've been involved for close to 35 years with a prison ministry here in Missouri. OK, and one of the things we do is we have complexes and homes around the St. Louis area where ex-offenders, people who are released from prison itself, and have to be integrated back into society, stay for our nine-month program. We have a very high 
you know, rate of, uh, of, of success with these individuals turning their lives around. This is a Christian ministry. So we've recently established a couple of, of pretty big homes in the Cuba, Missouri area and, and Lincoln County where moms can stay and where we can reunite them with their children. Okay. Because family separation is one of the, the really hard downsides of crime. Right. So we've done all this with private dollars. Okay. There's, there's nobody in Washington in outrage over it. There's nobody falling all over themselves in the Congress to give us a billion dollars to build more of these homes because these are Americans. And it's, you know, I, look, I've, I've sat, I've listened to these women and, 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 and watch the pain that they have because they can't see their kids. It's the same thing with the dads in our, in our complexes. They can't see their kids either because uh, they've been convicted of a crime. This happens all the time in America. It's not a good thing, but the people responsible for it, as our ex-offenders understand, are the people who violate the law in the first place. Okay? And as far as the president's concerned, he does not have discretion not to enforce the laws of the United States. It's as simple as that. Well, not only does and, he not have discretion not to enforce the laws of the United States, he, had, he has broad powers to do so. Yes, he does. But, I mean, people are asking him to do something he does not have the discretion or the authority under the law to do. He can't just stop using the resources of the executive to faithfully execute the law. So this is a case. I mean, they're, they're trying to take advantage of, of an emotional reaction. We've seen this before. But I think as this is discussed and debated in the public square over the course of the next week or two, people are going to realize what's really going on. I mean, that's, we've seen it. You know, the emotional bubble grow and then shrink as people realize uh, what the underlying facts are. Uh, so, you know, that's my take on it. Again, I see the irony of the fact because I've on both a personal level as well as having been in office. I see this happening all the time to Americans. And, uh, you know, it will happen to you. Don't, nobody out there should think because of this that, you know, if they were to commit a crime, that the government would, uh, you know, turn somersaults to try and keep them together with their children because, no, you're going to be prosecuted for the crime, and that means, you know, you're going to be separated from your kids, and you may even lose custody of them legally, you know. Well, so Jimmy, you mentioned, I mean, too, I, I think this is important for you to mention because you said that the president cannot not enforce the law uh, and because he takes an oath to uh, – go ahead and follow through on his constitutional duty. I think people forget that this is a law and that there are members of Congress who supported this. One of them would be Jeff Flake, who now apparently doesn't. Another would be John McCain, who now apparently doesn't. Another one would be Susan Collins, who now apparently doesn't. People forget this isn't, this isn't just uh, a tweet sent out by President Trump. This is a law. Yeah, listen, we can't it's it's over the underlying question here, which is whether we're going to whatever the policy is about who we allow to immigrate and who we don't, uh whether we're going to enforce the policy or whether we're basically just going to allow anybody to come in who can make it to the border. That's bad policy. It's it's not fair to the people of the United States because and another irony by the way, by the way of this Jamie is that with the economy going as strong as it is, there's a tremendous upward pressure on wages. And they're going to start going up if they, I think they probably have already, and we're just not measuring it yet. Okay. 
And so here we have a chance to get higher wages for workers. Uh, but again, if we just if we allow people in, regardless of what the law is, that's going to exert a downward pressure. So, you know, the president is supposed to enforce the law. He should enforce the law. And if, if basically what they're saying is you can't enforce the immigration law against parents. Now, what would happen if we said we can't enforce the other criminal laws against you if you're a parent? All you got to do is be a parent and have custody of a child and we're not going to enforce the law against you. It's impossible. Yeah. So, uh, so what? Now, the, the response that we need, and I think you're right, Senator Cruz is aiming at this, is to have probably surge capabilities uh, to uh, to be able to make certain that these kids are taken care of in a decent way, <clears throat> and um, they're probably in much better conditions than they had at home, which is good because they're here in the United States uh, while these cases are pending, but. Um, that's that's the right response at this point, not to back away from the from the law. Yeah, I mean, I, and and I, I do think that ultimately, you know, some of us and many people who support Republicans or conservatives are happy that Ted Cruz stepped in with this, if only to kind of alleviate this, you know, knee jerk, easy, just add water criticism and concentration camp references. Uh, and I know that we don't always want to kowtow to the screechiest among us, but sometimes there is a practical way to go ahead and get through this without necessarily drawing back on your commitment to securing the border and to indeed no, the I law. Mean, yeah, Jamie, the executive needs more resources and tools to enforce this law in the right way. I and mean, that's how I look at it. <clears throat> and so we're going to produce... I think they should act to give them the resources that they need. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, Jamie. I'm tired of the partisans in Washington uh, insulting the character and motives and generosity of the American people. It, it's, and, and that always happens in this immigration debate. This is a very open country. We have far more generous immigration laws than most countries, including Mexico uh, or Japan, for example. And so and and people take advantage of that. They abuse the decency and openness of the American people to try and come here when they know they shouldn't. I mean, it's it, that's why they're trying to sneak over, because they know they're not allowed in legally. <clears throat> and, uh, and and so, you know, it's it's this attack and slander on 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 the American people always comes up in the context of immigration debates. And it's wrong. Now you got. Now you awaken me, Jamie. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm up now. Well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm I, honestly no. I'm, you're you're really cutting through a lot of of this, and and in a balanced way that, you know, we we've had a lot of fun with the idiots out there trying to make references to marching to showers and concentration camps and Nazis and now with the DNA testing. I mean, I, I, that's going to become a new thing. But you know, it's a, it's a perfectly reasonable thing because there's some suspicion that some of these kids who are being sent across the border actually are being sent across completely parentless. There's the, the adults with them are not their parents. And so, I mean, there's a lot of this stuff. And, and some of these kids are being used because, because underneath all this is a, almost a regimented cabal of individuals who are buying and selling trips across the border and there are some individuals who are indeed using kids, basically renting children so as to get across the border because they have kids with them and somehow trying to figure out a way 
to get past all this. So there's a lot of this going on, and, and it just seems weird that most of the media in this country and indeed even most of the Democrats are all just simply just using this really as a to, – to beat Trump over the head. They, they, don't, they don't really necessarily care about the sanctity of our borders or about the law for that matter. So it's just kind of one of these easy, well, uh, obvious that, things. And that's why I pointed out, Jamie, and you said they don't care. That's why I pointed out uh, what what this ministry that I'm involved with is doing. I mean, you know, we're trying to remedy this problem or to to help people, Americans, in this situation. And uh, it's not like anybody's falling over themselves uh, to provide government funding to us. Now, <clears throat> that's fine. Uh, you know, we operate on a shoestring, done a lot of good work. Um, and I'm not here to talk about this ministry, but I mean, the, 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 the contrast is pretty enlightening, isn't it? Um, yeah. so yeah, ex- exactly. And, and you're right about, look, I'd be very surprised if there were not fraud involved in many of these cases, because if, if it becomes known, uh, that there's a ticket into the United States, whatever it is, people are going to contrive, uh, you know, ahead of. A way to jump ahead of other people who are waiting in line. Uh, people are going to contrive to get that ticket, and if they don't have it, uh, they'll they'll pretend that they have it. It's the same as as the, the migrants into Europe who uh, who pretended that they were underage because they thought they got a break if they did. So you get thirty year old men from Pakistan, you know, saying that they're seventeen. Does that happen? Of course it happens because then they're in, they're allowed to stay. And, uh, yeah, I would be surprised if that's not the case, although it, it probably is not the majority of instances. But it's I imagine that there's an awful lot of fraud in that respect also. Uh, hi, Jim. This is Phil. I wanted to ask you a question. If yeah, I could. Phil. Yeah. Um, the way this kind of rose out of nowhere, uh, I was watching Twitter the day that the uh, the Huffington Post um, uh, reporter posted that picture that she was mistaken about uh, thinking that it was a current picture when it was actually from 2014. And then Twitter kind of exploded, and then all of a sudden it was trending, 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 and this kind of rose up. I just wonder what your opinion was about the possibility that this is 100% a political, this is the snowball that they're going to they're gonna roll down the hill on us for the midterms, and then um, what do you think the chances are after the midterms this, is, this issue well, kind of, you know? Yeah, I think my experience has been that almost all the time uh, this kind of thing, the political side of it is opportunistic. Something happens and people seize on it, and that's what I expect is happening here, that their political instincts tell them to grab it and control the news cycle for as long as they can with it, and if they think it's favorable to them. So that's what I expect is happening here. Um, Yeah, and and there's a lot of people who who are confronted with this sort of thing for the first time, and I'm talking about people, the, the public here. And it's it's very sad, and it is sad that that when somebody gets arrested, they get separated from their children. And, and I, you know, it's, it's it's it happens every day to thousands of Americans in the criminal justice system because the alternative is to say we're not going to enforce the law against parents, and that's that that that's uh, not absurdum. You can't you you can't say because you have a child, and and you're the custodian of that child. The law doesn't apply to you. And so we have to then, you know, when when you do get family separation, if you don't have a relative, 
then the child goes into the foster care system. It's, it's very sad that that happens, but it happens because people commit crimes. So it's, so the question here is, do we put non-Americans in a better position than we put Americans in? Do we allow them to flout the law when we would not allow Americans to flout the law? And the answer is no, the law is there for a reason. If you don't like it, you change it. You know, you don't just, you don't break it and you don't urge uh, the gov- government officials to just ignore it either. Right. Well, we, and, and we, we, this, wish- I, this Jamie, this Jamie, I've always believed. And, you know, again, we can argue over what the law ought to be, how many people ought to be in, not a reasonable people can disagree about that. But what, what bothers me about the way the immigration debate has gone in the last few years is that's really a question of whether we're going to enforce any law at all. And to me, there's only one answer to that. Yes, we're going to enforce the law. Well, we and we have argued over what the law ought to be, but which is why we have this law. I mean, it, it, it's it's so so we have right. argued over it, and and they've come to the conclusion. And so, why argue over it and come to a conclusion if you're just going to have people bitch about it once it's actually installed? It's like it's crazy, and and the reality is, and, and we do treat Americans worse than non-Americans, at least in the in in some instances, because I know that there are there's a mom and a dad. Uh, many of them who are right now in federal prison because of a bag of weed and they and and or 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 a big bag of weed let's put it that way relatively bigger but nonetheless for a bag of marijuana and where are their kids they're sure as hell not with their parents so uh, you know right we it often happens if it's a single parent that's usually when it happens yeah. it's typically not you know a couple committing a yeah. crime although that you're right that happens right it's typically a single parent, and and so you know if the if the parent's sole custodian is put in prison, they can't care for the kid, right? Right. I mean, and so, so you have to do something. The child becomes a ward of the state and goes into the system. Uh, you know, and I was running for governor. I mean, we didn't, I didn't talk a lot about this, but I really wanted to examine the foster care system. There are many wonderful foster parents, but it's very difficult to have any confidence that these kids are being you know, in every home cared for well, when you have them scattered, you know, over hundreds of, of homes. Now, you know, there, there isn't a, what you would call a great alternative in that situation. So you have to really examine it carefully. So, I mean, as I said, Jamie, um, to me, the practical um, result of this ought to be that we empower the president better to take care of these kids while these cases are, you know, are pending. And, and, and the only reason the separation is there is because we allow <clears throat> these the um, people here unlawfully to apply for asylum. I don't think very many of them at all are going to get it because they're economic migrants. They're not refugees. They're not fleeing persecution and fear of loss of life or limb or being imprisoned for their political beliefs. They're here for economic reasons. Right. There's another irony with this. Jamie, because one of the reforms, I'm, uh, I like the, the Cotton-Purdue bill, and one of the substantive reforms that Tom Cotton wants to make in the system is to give to immediate family reunification. Okay, so if somebody's here lawfully and their uh, spouse and kids are, are still in the other country, uh, Tom's view is that we ought to give a priority to their immediate family to come in. And the law right now 
doesn't give them a priority over extended family. So we get chain migration. You right. bring in your cousin, and they bring in their cousin, and then they bring in the whole village that way. <clears throat> the same people who are talking about you know, how terrible it is that, that these kids get separated, and it is bad, okay, are also fighting uh, giving a priority to immediate family reunification. Why don't we do that? Yeah. So, I... again, yeah, there's no question. Nobody's going to be shocked to find out that uh, that there's a huge political motive behind making a big deal about this. I mean, it is a big, it's a, it's a bad thing that happens, but it happens. It's happening because we haven't, we don't have the means to, to enforce the law adequately. And because we haven't enforced it for so long that people think they can get away with coming in. And so we get a lot of these cases and, yeah. uh, you know, the answer is to enforce the law in a humane way. And then the number of people trying to break it will go way down. Right. Well, I will tell you that that at some point, you know, it, it becomes so obvious that this is just a politically motivated stunt in terms of attacking this. I realize there are some people who are generally genuinely concerned about kids. But I noticed this this in interview after interview when they talk to people about this, like an official and the official will mention they're coming over here for economic reasons. The anchor will always add and violence because they're trying to kind of beef up the excuse for the act of committing a crime of violating our borders and it's really not, i mean there is violence down there but 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 that maybe could be the mexican government's problem i'm also glad you mentioned the mexican government's immigration policy which basically you your ass doesn't come to mexico as an immigrant i don't know why you wouldn't want to anyway but if you don't have proof that you're making money that you're contributing to the society, everything else. So if we just simply adopted Mexico's standards of immigration, there'd be hardly anybody here, believe me, especially from Mexico. J- Jamie, the S- one of the essential attributes of a sovereign country is the right to determine who can join the body politic and who can't. If you can't do that, you're not a sovereign country. Okay? Now, again... However, that, that country makes its decisions in a democracy, you know, we do it through representative government. You can argue about who you ought to, who you ought to allow to join and who you, who you shouldn't, right? Generally speaking, that policy should be set with a view towards advancing the welfare and the interests of the people of that country. Because every policy of the federal government, you know, it's, again, it's a di- my, my wife accuses me of multiple digressions and I engage in it. I, I never thought when I started in politics, you know, now 30 years ago, that you would be arguing over such basic questions as whether the policy of the government ought to at least attempt to advance the interests of the people. Now, again, we, we can argue over, over how you do that and what constitutes the interests of the people, but the object of it ought to be to advance the welfare of the people of the United States. And that's as true for immigration policy as it is for tax policy or farm policy or any other policy. Right? Um, when I was in office, I represented the people, all the people in my district. Um, and including, by the way, those who were not citizens, but were here lawfully and permanently. Right. And I was trying to advance their interests according to my lights, uh, you know, the, the, the best way I knew how. And immigration policy should be the same. Now, Americans, I think, believe, and, and I'm a supporter of refugee, uh, you know, refugee admission. So if somebody's a true refugee, which means that they're basically 
uh, uh, they, they live in a country where there, there's systematic and widespread persecution uh, of a serious kind, and they're, and they're at high risk of being subject to it. Even there, Jamie, the, the better solution is to provide a safe haven for them, sanctuary for them somewhere in the region, because we can just help so many more people that way. Uh, you know, getting from the Middle East to the United States is very difficult if you're a refugee. So it's better to have places near your country where you can flee to. But I'm I'm fine with 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 having a refugee, you know, policy. But no, no, these people are not by and large refugees in that sense. They're economic migrants. Yeah. Or, you know, they're coming here for some other reason. I mean, we do know a lot of people. I'm not saying that any one of these parents is this way, but a lot of people cross the border for illicit purposes, too. Yeah, there's this feeling, there's this impression, and I'm glad you talked about the need for a policy that requires really some degree of uh, stake and and improvement in our culture and our conditions if you are going to come here from a foreign country. That's not beyond the realm of comprehension that our expectations should be high. But there's this image among people, uh, some people, uh, the left in particular, that America is a corral, that, that it really is not a country, it's just a pen. And, and, they, and they always point to the Statue of Liberty as an example of like, well, no, the Statue of Liberty says everybody can come here. It's like, well, no, unfortunately, the Statue of Liberty isn't holding a constitution and isn't the constitution. But it's this weird view of this country as just some kind of pig pen instead of a real country. I'm not calling immigrants pigs. I'm just saying. Well, one of the problems with, with having to argue over whether immigration policy should actually be designed, at least, to advance the interests of the people, if you have to argue over that threshold question, Jamie, you can't get to the, really, uh, the real issues, which are harder issues, which is, okay, what, what constitutes the interests of the people? And was how, how do we decide? how many immigrants should come in and what kind of people they should be. Those are all legitimate questions. I mean, in a time, uh, how bad does the labor shortage have to get before we decide that we ought to admit some immigrants to deal with it? And should it be a sector by sector decision? So for example, should you look at, at shortage of farm workers and on what terms should people come in? Should they come in on temporary visas to work? Uh, and, and, you know, and, and how do we decide of the people wanting to come in that way, the ones that we should let in or not let in? I mean, those are all legitimate questions, but we can never get to them because we're arguing over what you just said, whether, well, whether the United States is entitled as a sovereign nation to have, it, to have an immigration policy at all. And yes, the answer is yes, it's every other country does that. Uh, and the vast majority of it do it with much less openness and humanity than we do it. And that's always been the case. So, uh, again, I don't what gets me really angry about this is is at bottom. It's, a, as I said, again, a slandering of the character and the generosity of the American people, which is really unjust given our history. You know, Phil, I didn't really address your question, which was about the politics of this. And I'll just tell you, see, my view has always been, and most political observers on both sides of the aisle are not of this view. But, you know, again, I've got 30 years of experience in this. And and my view is that in, in the large majority of elections, voters as a whole 
act rationally in terms of how they define their interests. Okay? okay. And when you see an election result that really bothers you, it's because they're defining their interests differently than you want them to define it. Okay. Okay. But I didn't like losing. Okay. <laughs> I lost in 2006. I'll tell you guys a story. I, I'm, I'm looking at a, we're, we're doing a, um, a focus group of independent women. And this woman stands up, I'm watching the, you know, the, the, the film of it. And she says, you know, I really like Senator talent. It's just a shame he's running this year because I'm going to send a message to president Bush. And that was over the Iraqi war. Right. Uh, okay. Yep. So now here's, but, but here's a woman and I, and I watched her and I thought, you know, it is a perfectly rational decision to, 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 to think president Bush is not listening to us, the people he's not aggressive or, 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 or vigorous enough in changing his policy in Iraq. And the way to send him the message and get him to do it is to defeat the people of his own party. Yeah. Yep. I didn't like it that that was a judgment this woman made. But I can't stand here and say that was an irrational or she was manipulated or something like that. She made her own judgment. And you know what? The day after the election, and I lost, and a bunch of us lost, and I'm driving to the campaign, I'm going to pick up donuts and go there to cheer up the people. And I hear on the radio that the president fired Don Rumsfeld. So this woman got what she wanted. And that's what I think. So, no, I don't think the voters. Now, I just don't I don't worry about stuff like this. I think elections go off uh, uh, on a much more rational and sensible basis than people typically think. And uh, and I think voters think this sort of thing through. I mean, I really do. And uh, now, not everybody. We all know people who vote on both sides of the other vote thoughtlessly. But as a group, I think they get it right in terms of 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 how they decided what they want for the country. Well, and, and, you know, that, that was the problem with the election too, is that uh, they were able to extract an outcome by in a phony fashion, downgrading the war in Iraq. And by the Harry Reid's of the bunch, who said the war is lost and all this kind of stuff. And so it was really a shame uh, considering we lost you in the U S Senate, but it was really a shame considering that really it was manufactured by the left, by Democrats, by allegedly centrist Democrats like Claire McCaskill, who decided they were going to get elected on the backs of not only fighting American soldiers but dead ones. And that really disturbed me because uh, they're, they're, they overstated – the negativity of the Iraq war, and they did so on purpose. They did so because it was a useful political tool for them. The Vietnam War ran into the same problem where we had Washington, D.C. trying to run the war. But in this case, they were not trying to run the war. They were trying to ruin the war and lose the war so they could have the outcome. And that was the worst part of that election between you and Claire McCaskill is that – Reality was twisted, and you paid for it. Well, listen, uh, wars that drag on become unpopular. Fair enough, okay? And uh, our operational logic on the ground, this is not the, the, the soldiers who were at fault, but our operational tactics uh, were not adequate to that kind of war, and they needed to be changed. And I was actually... You know, telling that to everybody who would listen in the executive branch, 
so the people had a legitimate concern. And you notice not only did, did the president fire Secretary Rumsfeld, but he had a thorough review of those tactics. And then early the following year, he decided on the surge. And as soon as they put in, uh, because when you're going to do counterinsurgency, you have to have the capacity on the ground. It was you have to have enough boots on the ground to be able to provide security against the insurgents. And when he made that decision and they developed tactics uh, consistent with it, uh, we won. And we did win the war. Uh, it took longer than it should have. And the people were upset about that. And they had a right to be upset. I don't, like I said, I would have preferred that they send the message a different way. But I've never gone around grousing and, and you know, trying to, you know, blame uh, my the fact that I lost on, uh, you know, on other things. Now, I mean, I take the responsibility and that's it's, it's not a personal judgment that the voters make. And this is another mistake politicians make when they win. They think the voters love them personally and they think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And when they lose. They take it as a personal rejection, and it's not. It's a transactional process. People are voting in a way that they think will advance the interests of their of their family and their country. And, of course, voters, just like politicians, disagree about how to do that, right, depending on where you are in the political spectrum. But as a group, that's what they're trying to do. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of success in my career, and, and that's why I think my view of the voters was correct. I always tried to show them what I thought I could do. For them, uh, it's just like in any other employment situation. You know, you want to show the boss that you can advance the goals the boss has decided they want to achieve. And I, I think that's the best kind of politics. Um, but you're not going to win all the time either. Yeah. On to the FBI thing, just real briefly, because we, we got to let you yeah. go at some point too. But uh, I uh, really I, – I love it. One of the benefits of having – former prosecutors, for instance, who currently sit in Congress, is that you get to see them kind of in full stride when they're in a hearing situation. And Trey Gowdy, with the Inspector General Horowitz yesterday, was absolute money. I mean, it was great. It broke down, really, the truth of the matter, and it basically got to the conclusion that, really, in the end, the outcome of this probe into Hillary Clinton was basically prejudged before it even ended. And and the outcome of the Russiagate probe was prejudged before it began, to borrow a phrase from some friends over hot air. So that really is the crux of the issue. And Hillary Clinton continues to misrepresent what the investigation was about. It wasn't about her email server. It was about her trading in classified documents. And so she's even misrepresenting the actual investigation. So it was great that Gowdy was able to pick that apart with Horowitz. And I'm glad he did. Well, once again, Jamie Allman has, uh, has embarrassed me by asking me about something I haven't seen. So I got to go and look at the Gowdy clip. Yeah. It's very good. Uh, it's clear from the IG's report. I mean, it, it's, it, it's risable to now to deny that the Bureau in its Washington headquarters, I'm not talking about agents in the field, okay, but its Washington headquarters has become highly politicized and that it acted without regard for its own rules and probably without regard for the law. And I think you're going to see consequences. That broader issue is a real problem, okay? 
we, we need to clean up uh, the bureau in Washington. And, uh, you know, because this is tremendously important. This is the primary domestic law enforcement agency of the federal government. And we have to have confidence that its leaders understand they have to follow the rules. And I'm very disappointed that Chris Ray has not been stronger on that. I think he'd have done himself tremendous credit if he'd said, you know, I read that report and I want you to know I was appalled. And I'm, I'm sending the word right out right now that anybody who thinks that they're going to advance their career by, in the FBI by doing this sort of thing has another thing coming. And whether it was over Hillary Clinton or anything else, the Bureau is supposed to be professional. They're supposed to follow the rules. And we need strong leadership from him. And we know why they did it, too, Jamie. They did it because they wanted her to win, because they had personal ambition. They thought she was going to win, and they had ambitions themselves. And also because President Obama had made clear several times publicly that he didn't want her prosecuted. Right? You don't think that had an influence? Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, and Comey mishandled this thing from the beginning. And you're getting me on another rant. But what he should have done was as soon as this thing broke, he should have walked into Lynch's office. And he should have said, look, we'll either investigate this or not investigate this. And that decision's up to you. You tell me not to investigate it, I won't. Okay? But you're taking responsibility. I'm not doing it for you. You want to make a judgment that this is adverse to the interests of the people of the United States to investigate this case, you make that judgment, I will do what you say. But understand this, General, this is what he should have told her. If we investigate it, we're going to follow the rules. So we'll either do it or we won't do it, but I am not compromising the law and the culture of this agency to take you and the president off the political hot seat. It's your decision to make. We're going to investigate it. We'll turn in the report. You decide whether to prosecute, and you take responsibility for it. That's what he should have said to her right at the beginning. And then he should have called in the investigating agents and said, look, I don't know where you are politically. I don't care. We're investigating this, and we're going to follow the rules. And if I find somebody stepping out of line, you're out on your ass. Well, Comey would done that. Yeah. If he'd done that, the bureau, because what happens, Jamie, and I've seen this with people who are otherwise, and I'm not, look, I, I, with Comey, I know what people told me about him, but I, I've seen this even in the Department of Defense, that these high-ranking career public servants try and figure out what their political masters want and turn somersaults to make it easy for them politically to get what they want. And that's not their job. Yeah, but I don't think right. I don't think Comey had the integrity to, to 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 do what you just said he should have done because Comey no, thought he didn't. as long as he was in charge, everybody was great. He had struck basically operating as a Clinton emissary and protector right under his nose, and he didn't even know it. Well, Jamie, one of the things we know from this is that he doesn't have that integrity. I mean, because he didn't do it. Yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not so unsophisticated that he didn't know this alternative was open to him. Or if he is, then he, he didn't belong in that job. Okay? Uh, and, I, yeah, we know that. I'm not defending Comey and saying No, I know. This. I'm saying this is how it should have been handled. Okay? And, and just tell Lynch. Just say, you know, look, if you decide for reasons of state that it's not and, – and that is the authority of the attorney general and the president to make a decision – like, let's suppose, you know, let's suppose that that the FBI has a line on somebody 
who is is that the law enforcement people have a line on somebody who's working with the counterterrorism division and is very important to some really important issue of national security, right? Under those instances, uh, the political authorities may decide, you know what, we can't prosecute this guy now because we need him. Maybe he's infiltrated some ring or something, right? And so we need this information is more important. The counterterrorism piece is more important. That's their job to make decisions like that. But then they have to take responsibility for them. I wrote this in a column when, when, when Comey did this, that, that it was pretty clear to me he was, trying, he was trying to figure out what his political masters want wanted and take them off the hook by contorting the agency to produce the result they wanted. And once he went down that road, this, all this was going to happen. You know, because the fish rots from the head, Jamie. Does and it's yeah. Uh, mm. Well, you get that? Um, you hear that? I, I well, I'm just talking about something where we can well, have a conversation. No, I, I'm, I'm, I know. I just I'd, I'd never heard the fish rots from the head thing, but that's pretty yeah, good. It does rot from the. I'm going to use that. I don't know whether it does or not, but that's that's what uh, I know. That's what my daddy used to tell me. Yeah, I know. I know. I, 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 I like it. I like the colloquialism. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow that. But by the way, too. Um, Maybe I'll go catch a fish and bring it back home and leave it out in the let's back. Let's test it. Let's right test on, it. See how it rots. Yeah, right on. You know, what's crazy, too, is that, I mean, I didn't think, like, Struck is weird to me. And I know you don't know any more about him than some other folks do because he's kind of a mysterious figure, although still employed in, inexplicably by the FBI, although there were some pictures of him being escorted from the FBI building last Friday. So I don't know what has, what has happened to him. But nonetheless, uh, it's weird. The guy was seemingly obsessed with uh, with making sure Trump didn't become president or if he did with disrupting him in the aftermath. And it's very odd to have a guy that crazily obsessed with Hillary Clinton's fortunes and uh, President Trump's misfortunes. It's really weird to me. Yeah, well, people in um, people in high level uh, nonpartisan positions have to be careful about how partisan they allow themselves to be. There's a discipline there. Now, everybody has the right in the United States, obviously, to vote and and to within to participate in politics. But when you get to a certain level in these uh, law enforcement or national security agencies, uh, it, it, it is good judgment to be careful about how, how partisan you get. Okay, like General George Marshall, uh, who was um, chief of staff of the Army and then subsequently was um, the Secretary of State yeah. under Truman. He deliberately did not vote. I mean, he didn't vote because he wanted to stay well away from partisan politics. So what happened in the Bureau, clearly, is that people went in the other direction. They gave in to all their partisan instincts. And when you do that, it does corrupt your judgment over time. Um, The other thing I'll just end, of course, I don't understand you know, social media and relationships today, but it's a little hard for me to believe that a man of his age would have done engaged in all that texting 
you know, with his girlfriend and on a level, frankly, that, you know, I would have expected from somebody much younger. Right. I mean, yeah. I just, I, I don't understand that whole phenomenon, you know, but that's just me. <clears throat> but yeah, they have to, you, you have to watch it. Of course you have opinions, but, and part of this, Jamie, is that people need to lighten up. Uh, and on our side of the aisle, you know, there are people who thought, you know, Obama gets into office, it's the end of the republic. Well, it wasn't. Yes, I, you know, he did a lot of things I think were terrible. I think objectively were terrible. In foreign policy, we could talk for a whole show about what the foreign policy aspects of it. But the republic has staggered on, hasn't it? And we now have a change. And so, and people on the left need to understand this is, this is an administration. They don't like it. You know, I get it. Yeah. Those of us in politics, I mean, you know, you get used to this when you're actually running uh, and, and you're actually sort of in this vocation. I mean, the election results are very disappointing sometimes because we're not the boss. The voters decide what they want to do. And everybody keeps, they get very angry at the voters when they don't decide to do what you want them to do. Well, right. they're the boss. You're not. Okay. So they get to decide it. Well, and thank God they can, you know, as for struck to your point about you think somebody was much younger than it. I've always maintained, and I know this is really unfair, but so what, uh, the, the, I, I've never, I, if you're over 35 and you're a liberal male, there's something wrong with you. And, 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 and I, I just, I find that to be, I, it, it's, it's absolutely just confounding to me that you could be in that situation. Uh, but that was more, that's why it's more surprising that a 45 year old spook yeah. is, uh, yeah. is, is a, is a Clintonite. It's just kind of crazy to me. Uh, but you know what, it, it, to your point too, regarding the f- fish rotting from the head down, um, you know, I think I, I think you're actually more you are the genius here because uh, the fish rotting from the head down is actually an ancient proverb that actually the Turks uh, were the ones who are laying claim to it. And they used it as a reference to a disorderly servant. And they maintained in the old days of Turkey uh, back in the early 1600s or something that if the servant is disorderly, it's because the master is so. And so, in my opinion, when you're looking at Struck, and your 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 ancient proverbian reference is perfect, that I believe that, that Comey is where it begins, and it rots down to Struck and the rest of the gang there, and there you have the problem with the deep state. So... Well, Jamie, the very fact, and here's Jim, what do they call people who, or, or professionals who, who look up the origin of words? I forget the name of Entomologists. Um, what, and, and, and that's what you are. Yes. And, and clearly uh, uh, that was very enlightening. Uh, but uh, as I said, I think all this flowed from the compromise with himself that Comey made at the beginning of the investigation. You know, the very fact that he announced uh, in July of 2016 or whenever it was that the FBI was recommending against prosecution. You know, the FBI is not supposed to make those announcements and is not supposed to formally recognize, uh, 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 recommend prosecution or non-prosecution. You investigate the case, you turn it over to the, you know, the appropriate 
uh, branch of the Justice Department, and they make that decision. But he was, I think, very eager, you see, to take his political masters off the hook, because then they were able to say, oh, we didn't decide not to prosecute her. This was his decision. And as I said, I think he was trying to please them instead of doing his job. And, you know, you've got to decide when you get a job like that. Uh, yes, you're going to obey the lawful directives of the highest political authority. That's very important. If you can't do that, you have to resign. Right. But you're, n- you're not going to try to uh, take them off the hook politically. I'll give you a parallel. I used to tell in conversations with the chiefs of staff because they were the, the heads of their services at a time, and you know how I feel about this issue, when the decisions, uh, and this is in the Bush administration as well as Obama, when the decisions of the Congress and the president were, were doing terrible damage to their services and they weren't being funded at anywhere near the level. And I used to say to them privately, I, 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 you know, because I didn't want to embarrass them, I would say, you know, when you testify, tell the Congress what the situation is. Now, if, if the Congress and the president and choose to continue not funding your service, you'll do the best you can. But don't, don't contort yourself to find a way to say everything is okay because that's easier for your political masters, right? And give us your best professional judgment. It's up to them yeah. to decide. And then, you know, if they decide, yeah, look, we're going to do it with this level of funding. Okay, sir, I will salute and do the very best I can, but I'm not going to go in there and lie for you. And if I'd ever had the opportunity, you know, to be in a high position in that agency, I was going to tell the generals, I don't want you coming here telling me what I, you think I want to hear. You come in and tell me what the truth is. I'm a big boy. I'll put on my big boy pants. If I make a judgment that I'm not going to do what you recommend or I'm not going to give you what you want, I'll go and defend it. And if I can't defend it, I shouldn't make that decision, should I? Right. But that, that attitude, I'm telling you, uh, this is not, that attitude does not permeate the top levels uh, of a lot of agencies and, and the career people. And as a result, a lot of them start down a road. They, they start compromising. And then you can't get it back. And I I see that with Comey. I mean, he was trying, you know, he fatally compromised himself, but he was trying to preserve his reputation and preserve the rules and make it look good. And that's what the IG's report. I mean, it's so obvious to everybody. Right. And of course, even his agents held him in contempt for it. I mean, what was that one text? The guy saying, yeah, he lied his head off. Of course, nothing's going to be done. Unbelievable. So well, you see, he ends up, he, he's trying to protect his reputation and he ends up savaging it because he, he made the fundamentally wrong decision at the beginning. It's, it's pretty sad, really. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Jimmy, thanks for your time, buddy. I really appreciate the insight and, uh, and just cutting through it all. And just as one final cap on the uh, fish rotting from the head down element there, yeah, and of course, you're, else, uh, you're brilliant. Uh, you're like the... Turkish You're proverb. Like the professor on Gilligan's Island. You know, that's in other words, any subject comes up and you can give us the. Well, you can answer it. Uh, I'm, I'm just Go glad ahead. you said that because I really love Marianne and Marianne dug me. So I'm, I'm all, I'm all about that. So, but, the, but here's the deal though. Uh, even though you, it's brilliant that you use the reference and it's brilliant that it is indeed an ancient Turkish uh, proverb that references the uh, servant 
only as good as the master portion of it, it really is not accurate when it comes to Piscine biology. Because the truth of the matter is when a fish does indeed rot, the guts rot first. The head actually doesn't rot first. But the reference still is is great. Uh, but the uh, but it but it's not accurate in terms of in terms of piscine biology. But still, uh, I just think it's it's great that you said that, and I'm glad I was able to learn something. And we learned something not only about the FBI but about immigration and about fish. So fantastic, buddy. What more do we so, want? Okay, Jamie. But why do the guts rot ahead of because probably because they're enclosed. So when the temperature goes up, it's probably more humid in there. It's like a, yeah, it's a fish belly oven is what it is. Fish stomach oven. So, ah, for all you having well, breakfast out there, it. there you go. Delicious. Yep. You know what, guys? I, you're the experts. I'm not. But I think this is damn good radio. Let Jeez. me tell you. I'll never forget, man. Speaking of fish, we used to go fishing, and my dad would get bring back catfish. And f- and in order to, uh, to, to skin the catfish and everything else, he would... I don't know why. I don't know. There must be easier ways to uh, gut and skin a fish, but for whatever reason, he would hammer. We had a we had a we had a, a utility pole in the back of our yard. It was typical to have. You know, we were we were living in U City, and it was one of those you know close knit neighborhoods. You know, and had house that was five feet apart from each other. And in the backyard, you had your wires going through and everything else. We had this wooden pole in the backyard. And he'd come back with these catfish, and he would nail that catfish's head to that pole and skin that catfish like that. I don't know why he did it that way, but that's what he would do. He'd, he'd put a nail into the thing. He'd nail the catfish's head to the pole and and proceed to uh, dismantle the thing. It's the weirdest thing to me. Well, I mean, <laughs> was he a real fisherman? Was he a real sportsman? Uh, well, he wasn't. I wouldn't. He wasn't a real sportsman, but he did love to fish, and we did fish. And he. Yeah. But sometimes when okay. I when I was well, little, he'd guy, come back with a bunch of fish. So, guys who fish a lot, they learn the best way to clean the fish. Yeah, and and I, everybody does it a little different. I, uh, I've had I've had it shown to me. I mean, I've done it uh, a number of times myself, but I've had it shown to me in different ways, and I think it's just what people learn to do the fastest because if you bring home a mess of fish, you know, you don't want to take all afternoon to clean them. Right. Yeah. That fish didn't move. So this move. is how your dad did it. He nailed it to a telephone pole or something. Yeah. That, that's kind of unusual. I hadn't heard f- of anybody else doing it. That the way. fish didn't move a whole lot after that, which was probably one benefit. And it was, these were big catfish. I don't know where they came from, whatever, but they, they were big catfish and they didn't move a whole lot. And I guess to technically to skin one, it's probably one of the easier ways because they're slimy. Nothing's coming out of your hands, and that baby ain't moving anywhere. And you just sit there and skin it right from the telephone pole. <laughs> it's sure good when, I mean, you get fresh fish and you, you, oh, know, you roast fish. them or something on a grill. I mean, that's really, that's, and I love catfish. Yeah, I love the whole, I, I mean, I love trout and I love all the white fish and grilling and all that kind of thing. But in the in the end, there's fried catfish is glorious. Mm-hmm. That's just how so you're it like is. me. I like flavorful fish. Yeah, a lot of people don't. They want fish that doesn't taste like fish. Right, exactly. But I like I like flavorful. I like I want fish when I eat fish. I want fish that tastes like mm. fish. Right? Yeah, 
Yeah, I like crop. It's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why, yeah. like my my girls love fish, uh, and and I would cut, I would actually cook whole fish on the grill, which I like to do, like snapper and those kinds of things. But the girls didn't like to see the head uh, well, no. on the platter, and so I I wound up actually then then getting them. The, but the problem is when you the the less fishy the fish, the more expensive the fish. So if you really want fish that doesn't really taste like fish, you're buying blocks of halibut and sea bass and it's 29.99 a pound and so uh right. you're, you're and, you know you're, it's just kind of one of those things and at that point you might as well go out and get a strip stick right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly all right buddy well great talking to you i hope you have a great rest of your week and uh thanks for being with us as long as you were man it's always entertaining and enlightened my friend <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna contemplate the rest of the day about what this interview was really about, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a lot of things, but it all goes right to the fish story. That's all it is. Yeah. All right, buddy. Thanks okay, a ton. Man. That's Good Jimmy Talent. Yeah, you Bye-bye. too, man. Appreciate you. Got that big and old when the pen Going to feed him on All I want is a pretty little girl To feed him when I'm gone I went to see my darling What do you think he said? Said you wouldn't marry me Dressed as a boy Yeah.
Chicken train, running all day. Chicken train, running all day. Chicken train, running all day. I can't get on, I can't get off. Chicken train, take a chicken away. Laser beam in my dreams. Laser beam in my dreams. I can't get on, I can't get off. Laser beam like a sawed-off dream. Oh, man. Little uh, animal-themed music for you, baby. Pick It Depends a great song. Old school. Guy... Has pigs in a pen and corn to feed him on. He just needs the, a girl to feed him while he's gone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's one reason to get married. You know? Why do you want to marry me? Well, I need a girl to feed my pig when I'm gone. Oh, so beautiful, so romantic. Well, where do you go? I take off on the chicken train. This runs all day. Daredevils? Yeah. The Ozark Bond's Daredevils fan. <laughs> uh, Jackie Blue? That's that fan? Oh, I know by them, I think. No. I think that's them. I love this snarky article here. I love it because it's just, it's just, it's, it's so, sometimes overconfidence is charming, depending on who it is. And this article, the headline is, who's going to be the next Mondale? <laughs> and the reason why it's so funny is because it's talking about who who's going to be the person who's going to receive the drubbing of a lifetime in 2020 as the Democratic nominee for president. Who's going to be the next Walter Mondale? Who's going to be the one to receive 13 electoral votes to... <laughs> Trump's 525. 13. Who's, who's going to be the one to win the one state when Trump wins 49? Yep. Who's, who's going to be that person? And, and, and the reality is that is exactly what's going to happen. I would imagine that the Democratic contender would be lucky to get even one state, but we'll see how that goes. But the, the, the sad, which is why you see the temper tantrum after temper tantrum after temper tantrum of individuals in the media and on the left and indeed even on the right to a certain degree, and I'll get to that in just a second, because they know exactly what's in the offing 
and that is the humiliation of a lifetime. If November 8th of 2016 wasn't humiliating enough, November 8th or whatever the date is, 9th of 2020 is going to be disastrous. But it's going to be fun for those of us who support President Trump. So it's it's so bad of a forecast for Democrats in 2020 that they now have gotten to the point where they are singularly obsessing over just like one thing, which is why you see them all taking planes to the border, setting up their director's chairs and doing all their morning and evening shows from there. And all the never Trumpers are coming out of the woodwork. And it is unbelievable. So because they can't talk about anything else, the news today regarding the food stamp usage being at an all time low, black unemployment being at an all time low. President Trump has now set a 10th a tenth economic record regarding uh, unemployment and the GDP uh, in 500 and now 20 days. And people are being employed. Businesses are growing. People are happy. In fact, the Gallup poll I told you about yesterday, that Americans are the happiest they have been in 12 years the tariffs aren't uh, doing the damage that they thought no. they would do. No. You know, the, 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 the market has already adjusted and saw it coming. So yeah. they gave me have that to go with. So, yeah, it's all about the, the border. That's why I love the who is going to be the next Mondale. And I'll just read from this a little bit because I don't normally just like read from articles, but this is actually just too, too great to pass up. It's by Michael Walsh. For the first time since the election of 84, the left is on the run, and they don't like it one bit. Back then, they'd been stunned when the ignorant, trigger-happy cowboy Ronald Reagan upset Jimmy Carter in 1980, a man they were absolutely sure had almost no chance to win the presidency and instead beat the incumbent handily. But they were devastated when Reagan crushed Walter Mondale in 84 in one of the mightiest popular and electoral landslides in American political history. And you know the left knows this. The right in the formulation of Brett Stevens and the Never Trumper guys all absolutely know this. And the article continues, now history seems to be repeating itself. This time in the election of 2016, they were certain that Trump had less than no chance against the juggernaut of Clinton. Where Reagan had been the first divorced man ever to win the presidency, Trump was already on wife number three. Whereas Reagan's qualifications for high office consisted of his two terms in Cal as California governor, Trump had no qualifications at all. If you want to call them that, I'm just I'm pointing that out. That's my addendum. And when Trump put Hillary away mid-evening on election night, the silence was punctuated by weeping, wailing, and the gnashing of Nate Silver's teeth. <laughs> Nate Silver's an idiot, <clears throat> overrated, mm. needs to stick to sports, and that's it. So it's whether or not Trump followers will do the same trajectory of Reagan is still uh, in doubt. You just can't guarantee it. But consider this. President Trump is off to a much faster start than Reagan was when he started in 1980. So already, 
and I'm, this is me talking now, not reading, already the unemployment rate, the economy, on down the line, even when it comes to national security, even when it comes to world affairs, productivity, growth, President Trump has run circles around Reagan's productivity in all those areas uh, when he first started in 1980. So while we cannot know what's going to happen in 2020, we know what happened in 1984. And we know what happened in 1980 compared to 2016. So if you really want to do kind of the math, and don't rely on me for it, because I'm a 2.6 and David Hogg's a 4.2. But what I'm telling you is that if you do the math, uh, President Trump is wildly more successful than Reagan was in his first two years of his presidency. And Reagan swamped Mondale in 84. So now the question is, who's going to be the ones to... Uh, Come up there. The Obama legacy, as this article points out, is just basically in the in the trash heap. And so who is going to be this person that steps up? And right now, you're probably going to ultimately have just somebody up there as almost a sacrificial lamb. Anybody who goes up against him in, in 2020 yeah. is going to be humiliated. So who that's going to be? Uh, who knows? Great article, though. It's uh, it's at uh, a website called americangreatness.com, amgreatness.com, and it's the, it's the top story there. So as an indication of this total abject fear, you can see their usual reliable suspects like the never-Trumpers Brett Stevens, who is the allegedly conservative columnist over the New York Times, but also the pimp of evil over there at MSNBC. And he decided he was going to make a reference to this whole thing down at the border and say that now the Republican Party is the so-called know-nothing party, and here's uh, Brett Stevens. Of course, the Trump administration in its demagogic uh, mode is, is always going to be able to find an immigrant who becomes a criminal or, or a thief or so on and, and paint anecdote as, as data because they are relying on, on the stupidity of, big, of, of low bigotries to make this particular argument. But what we now have is, for the first time, an administration in power that represents the same politics that we rejected in the 1850s with the know-nothing movement at the turn of, uh, of the century with the anti-immigration forces then. Finally, these people have come into power. And we should say it's not an economic issue. It's a cultural issue, and it's a bigotry issue. And he's a liar wow. and reprehensible and historically inaccurate. And that doesn't stop these people, though. The comparisons to the Know Nothing Party and, and his terminology of anti-immigration, which is a, a deceitful, disingenuous, dishonest way to describe people who want to obey and enforce the laws of the land, to describe it as anti-immigration is a an insult beyond insults, and, of course, a lie. And people like Brett Stevens know it. It's kind of like, remember, Phil, when we were going through the Obamacare thing, 
And the question was, are you for health care or are you against it? I'm like going, um, I'm for health care. All right. Uh, This is not about health care. This is Obamacare. All right. I'm for health care. But eventually it went into the media vernacular as, all right, 97 percent of Americans support health care. It's like, yeah, um, uh, but not Obamacare. Not but they called it health care. Right, right. right. And so what they're doing is they're calling illegal crossing of the border. They're calling that immigration, which mm-hmm. is it's not. Well. It's a crime and it is invasion, not immigration. And so back in the day, and I'm not defending by any stretch of the imagination the Know Nothing Party, because there is, there did, it did such exist, and it was called the American Party. And these were people in the 1850s who, um, let's put it this way, uh, there are some real gems running around there in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s. These were some people who were some of these people were not altogether great. Okay. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, you had the greatness of the founding fathers. Then you had that next generation of individuals who, uh, well, it was a, it was a time of, of terrible desperation and, and death, uh, by disease. And I mean, it was not in the, in the, in the, United States of America in the 1840s and 50s, it wasn't fun to be here. Uh, as fun as it was when you first started the country, yeah, okay, you know, on through Jefferson, Adams, Quincy Adams, then you're running through um, Tyler, you're running through Jackson, and, you know, but then when it started, when it started getting into the whole 1840s and thir- late 30s and 50s, uh, just as an, an anecdote, um, my is it pouring down rain or is okay good that's fine i just want we're hearing it on the we don't even have a tin roof it's like roof is must be pouring down rain you all sitting in traffic are you speed up <clears throat> brake lights don't use your brakes hydroplane they get you there fast quicker as we said but and it's raining and then b- people um here's what i tell the kids cuz oftentimes um you know, you might be in the car with the kids, even though they're not going to school, but you might be taking them to camp or something. And the kids might ask you, you know, Daddy, Mommy, you know, uh, why is it, why is it raining? And usually, you, you, what is rain or whatever? And it's like, what is thunder? It used to be the angels bowling, you know. Oh, and then yeah. they say, what is rain? It's like the angels crying, you know. And then they'll ask summarily, why are the angels crying? And your answer should always be probably because of something you did. Mm-hmm. And that always keeps them right in line. Good parenting tips. Good parenting. Right. Now, you, you hit the jackpot if you're able to convince them that it's God crying. And then when they ask, well, why is God crying? Then you say probably over something you did. That actually does absolutely promote that bond that's <laughs> necessary to uh, continue on. It keeps, it keeps them in line. That and the fact that don't leave home or the witch will try to eat you. Wow. You know, that kind of thing. Okay. Or, there, or there's, a, there's a big bad wolf right behind the tree, so don't try to wander away from the house. That kind of thing. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good German way to 
to, to, to keep people in line. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, speaking of that, then, so I'm going to I'm going to give you an anecdote of what it was like before I before I and I'm not again I'm not excusing the nativism of the American Party at the time in 1855. But just as an example, for instance, my family on my mom's side came here from Pennsylvania. They, they came over with William Penn in the 1600s. Uh, William Penn founded Pennsylvania. My, my, my ancestors are uh, related to a guy named Hans Herr. And, who, you know, and so they settled. They were Mennonites. And you read through the history, though, of their life, and right around that time of the 1840s and late 1830s, there were people, they'd have nine kids, and seven of them would die. I mean, it was the disease and, and cholera and all these things were just rampant around this country, and people were pretty... Desperate. I mean, it was so. I'm reading my family history and and you know, reading about some of my my people. And yeah, they'd have they'd have litters of kids basically for that reason because you could always be sure that three quarters of them would die before they were twelve. That was really it was a really crazy time. So what it created was a um, you know, the, you generally in these desperate times, you have people who are. Uh, especially the economic times, we had not yet gone through the any industrial revolution of any sort, and we were kind of caught in this, you know, mire. There wasn't a lot of industry. It it was just kind of you know um, not the best of times. So you had a lot of people who were there wasn't a lot to share because there wasn't a lot out there. So naturally you have people who, when there were people popping over here from other countries saying, hey, hi, everybody. They were like, um, wait a minute. And they'd start to grab their loaves of bread and everything else and, and hide them because they didn't want these. So that's why you had a situation where you had a ton of people hostile who were like, hostile mm-hmm. to immigration. Mm-hmm. They were hostile. And they were, they were, this American party was specifically anti-Catholic, and uh, because there were a lot of people coming over from well, after the potato famine and all that kind of thing, were popping over here from Ireland, and you know it was that. So there were a lot of uh, uh, Catholics were the first ones to basically immigrate, uh, and were here before because Maryland actually is named after Mary. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. they they but but they but a lot of them came over from you know the, during the potato famine, all that mm-hmm. kind of thing, and and so that's where you had like in the eighteen forties. That's where you had like the political cartoons that 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 uh, where Catholics were uh, portrayed like as monkeys, mm-hmm. like you, the, you had mm-hmm. you know the 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 whole monkey. They looked like monkeys. It wasn't black people they were saying look like they were they were, these were Catholics that were portrayed in cartoons and other images as monkeys. So they were they were not treated very well, and so that was a that was a. Uh, the, 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 and, and just the know-nothings, I'll just read from a description of it, believed in a Romanist conspiracy that was designed to subvert civil and religious liberty in the United States. Um, and so they organized native-born Protestants in the defense of traditional religious and political values. There, there, I think there was a movie 
that kind of spoke to that a little bit. What was that one movie? It wasn't was it the Gangs of Not New Gangs York? Gangs of New York. I was going to say, yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about the Irish coming over. Is this the time when the Irish kind of got the bad rap that they had for such a long time? Well, actually, um, yeah, and 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 in many ways, um, their their the bad rap was kind of deserved to a certain degree, uh, be, because they because they they had a um they they were uh they were they were some of them were violent but mm-hmm. but that gangs of new york spoke to this protestant mm-hmm. angst towards the catholics um and, and that was that was that was during that time okay. uh, i believe the gangs of new york was set kind of in that 1850s mode mm-hmm. because there was a, even a problem though in late century 1800s in the 1800s mm-hmm. when gangs were significant in the the Bowery Boys and all the New York mm-hmm. guys, and in fact Luke Sante, you ought to read a book called Low Life, and it's pretty interesting. He wrote a book about gangs, and I think Gangs of New York was loosely based on oh. Low Life, and man, it was brutal, man. Great movie, I will tell you. Yeah, that. the movie I mean, was it blew my mind. Uh, absolutely, it was a great movie, but but it was a brutal life here mm-hmm. in the. Late 1800s, and you go through, obviously go through the Civil War, but then, but in the 1840s and 50s, it was pretty rough too. So, so that's why the the they had the American Party that was reluctant to have these people in in here, um, and, and 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 were protective of what limited resources they had. It was a resource issue, and it was a we don't want these people here. Um, this was obviously before the Statue of Liberty ever ever got here yep. and, and 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 we don't want these people here and and they're taking away from our resources this particular and, and so they were anti-immigration they just didn't the, the the idea of people coming over here even legally mm-hmm. whatever that happened to be at the time which wasn't established at the time was totally not cool with them it's totally cool with us as a matter of fact, that we support legal immigration. There's not a conservative out there who is a border security hawk who is not in support of legal immigration. There might be some weirdos out there who don't who don't want it, but there's not a soul who doesn't want who doesn't like the idea of immigrants here, right? Right. I mean, I, I don't know anybody like that. No. So for Brett Stevens to describe uh, those of us who simply don't want people to pop over here illegally as a as a similar to the know nothing party because we just don't like Mexicans is completely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And, and uh, because well, there might be some people who don't like Mexicans, and that's unfortunate. But that, that, that's not what this is about. Right. This is about people squatting over here illegally, and this is also about committing crimes. And I realize a lot of Americans commit crimes, and a lot of Americans, you know, um, you know, if you did did it as a numerical thing, more Americans commit crimes than than, uh, than Mexicans do. But nonetheless, you our enforcement of the border is not a is 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 not a issue related to. Prejudice or the color of people's skin. I mean, in fact, we we in fact have very few apologies to make about how great we've been yep. with minority immigration and all that kind of thing. So that's why that's a, just a cheap shot. 
it's wrong on the part of Brett, Brett Stevens. You know your presidents and stuff. You probably knew this. I didn't know Millard Fillmore was a kind of a covert know-nothing. Yeah, Millard Fillmore. I didn't know that. Yeah. You probably did. I really didn't, but 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 just the just the whole Millard Fillmore. I mean that that's what you kind of got. Mm-hmm. I mean Millard Fillmore. Yeah, you know you had you had that little area there where you had uh, Millard Fillmore. I think um, I think Franklin Pierce might have come before him. That whole area there. So you had so you had uh, you had the whole. So you, so you at, once you got past Jackson. Then you got through, I think, uh, you know, William Henry Harrison, who was president for a month, caught a cold during his inauguration speech. Little guy. And died. Died? I think it might have been, might have been uh, before Jackson. That, that I don't, I'm not sure of. I think it's after Jackson. But, yeah, he, William Henry Harrison, who was Benjamin Harrison's grandfather. Benjamin Harrison was president in the, in the 1870s. Oh. Where that, that, that's where all the dudes with the beards were. So you had... Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, uh, Benjamin Harrison, James Garfield. Garfield was assassinated. So all those guys had some pretty heavy dude. They liked that beard thing going on. Then you had uh, Grover Cleveland with his big-ass mustache. And then you had Chester Allen Arthur with his uh, with his sideburns, dude. Yeah. Look up Chester Allen Arthur. Pretty You're going to love him. Oh, yeah. Did we have a Civil War veteran president? That's just trivia. I don't know. But um, well, yeah. I mean, I think I think Benjamin Harrison. I think all those guys were Civil War veterans. Okay. I think okay. Benjamin Harrison. I think Rutherford B. Hayes was a Civil War veteran. Okay. Um, but yeah, all those all those Ohio dudes, man, they were pretty. There was a pretty hefty bunch there. Who's the bearded? Am I looking at? Uh, Chester Allen Arthur. Chester. That's a lost name. So huh? you so you, in that eighteen post post Civil War Reconstruction era. You had the Chester Allen Arthurs, the Rutherford B. Hayes, the James Garfield. You had Grover Cleveland and Benjamin Harrison. Benjamin Harrison had a beard, but he kind of sometimes didn't have a beard. But that whole 18... Then you had, wow. Then, then you went over... <laughs> and, and McKinley was probably the first clean-shaven uh, president in that whole era there. Because McKinley then... Uh, was voted in uh, and then was assassinated in 1901. But then he, so McKinley was the first guy who was like kind of the clean-shaven dude. But those guys through that whole 1800s, and Grover Cleveland was actually president twice, which is why you always have kind of people trying to count and they miscount, because oh, Grover, right. Grover Cleveland was president twice, which is kind of weird. He was like uh-huh. ran for president and then lost and then came back. Uh, I don't know exactly the order of those guys, but but I think Benjamin Harrison, and then it was Rutherford B. Hayes, and then it was Grover Cleveland, and then it was Chester Allen Arthur, then it was Grover Cleveland again, and then it was maybe, I don't know, somebody else. And then, and then at post that, you had Grant. Grant had that big-ass beard, too. And he was like post, you know, he was probably late 1860s president. But you had Grant, all those bearded guys were there. But then, but before that, in between that, so you had, then you had Lincoln, and then you had, uh, before that, and then you had Johnson. But then you had, but before the Lincoln thing, you had the, um, you had the, uh, the James Buchanan, Millard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce grouping there. Mm-hmm. And those guys were kind of really boring. A little bit corrupt. Franklin Pierce had some great hair. 
Look up Franklin Pierce. Yeah, you love his at, hair. Looking at all up, that Arthur beard was oh, pretty, Arthur, pretty intense. He, he had mutton chops, man. Yeah, but they were like down, big down to you know. Oh yeah, he loved it. He was grooving on that beard. Man. Who was the first person that decided that I'm just going to shave my beard, but only this part right in here, and I'm just going to leave it all. That's that's a crazy. Who didn't look, have man. a mustache attached? What you mean? He had a mustache, but you know it, the whole beard here was missing. It's yeah. just coming out of the side of his face. Dude, that was that was animalistic, man. Yeah, man. The Chester Allen Arthur was a chicks, stud. Chicks dug that, I guess. I don't know. Man. They kind of had to then. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Couldn't even didn't. vote. What are you right. talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. They're usually like, girl, you can't even vote. You're gonna love my beard. Yeah, right. <laughs> now get me a. Go get me a uh, hot toddy, or mm-hmm. or or get me that thing that I need to bleed me out before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever those weirdos did, <laughs> honey, I need to bleed out before bedtime. Can you grab me my bleed out kit. But yeah, they uh, they did that. They were just no wonder. I'm surprised. I can't imagine how that whole world smelled at that time either. Oh, that's what my you sound, you sound like my wife. That's what that's exactly what she would have said first. Like, well, because every time I stunk. see these guys, they're in these wool coats. No matter what, it's like, dude, you make you make me look hot. When I see Weatherford B. Hayes, I start sweating. <laughs> like, dude, you had that beard and you had that wool ass coat on and a suit. You're making me sweat just looking at you. But then you had that. But so you had that whole thing where you had the. Um, so you had you had an era there you had where you had all the curly-headed white wig dudes and then that went that stopped around uh Quincy Adams uh then and they all hated Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson was the newcomer came from Appalachia. It was the first time anybody from not the eastern seaboard became president of the United States. That was a big deal then. And then that opened the door for the um William Henry Harrison, then you had the Zachary Taylors, the James Tylers, and the James Knox Polks of the world, and then it kind of turned around. Now we're in the 20th century now, so. Yeah. Right. But, but these, were the, these were the guys who took us through the late 1820s, 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. 50s. So you had, mm-hmm. so that's where you had the Zachary Taylors were here, then Polk, then you had the, the other guys. Um, then, you, then you turned the corner around there and then you then you went into the Franklin Pierce, Millard Fillmore, James Buchanan stuff like that. Like he he didn't even you know it was pretty it was a pretty crazy time, man. Pretty fun to talk I love talking about that stuff. Sorry I'm boring people. You should write a book. Huh? You should write a book. Was people dude, I know. people have written so many I mean No about you were writing you're thinking about writing one about somebody's wife, right? Adams, oh yeah, Rachel Adams, Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, Andrew Jackson's wife. That's an yeah. interesting topic. Oh, buddy, no, I'm I'm in full flair on that That's... one. And Rachel Jackson was an amazing woman. She was truly. And what's great about her is that uh, while Quincy Adams and um, and at the time I believe it was um, uh, it was Quincy Adams and Tyler and that group all really hated Andrew Jackson. Um, their wives all got along really well. They loved Rachel. She'd come up there. She smoked a pipe. Right on. She was cool. Smoked a little mm-hmm. silver, little silver pipe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Quincy Adams and and uh, they 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 did not. Uh, their wife didn't. Ab- uh, I don't. It wasn't Abigail. It was. Um, uh, I, yeah, I got it all. But that that part of the 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 my presentation hasn't quite been 
delved into. But I know I went I went all the way down to the Hermitage and went through all their love letters and stuff. And what they, were, they loved each other badly. Wow. Man, did she outlive him? Pretty pretty much like no. no. Mm. Which is why. Well, I need to call Doug. But uh, she that's precisely why Jackson was the way he was because she didn't outlive him. Oh, she died a month before he was inaugurated. Oh yeah, that's right. It really I pissed him off. Okay, because right. what happened is they while during the whole campaign. Uh, you know, she was from a from a family that founded the Donaldson family that founded Nashville, and so oh. her her dad she actually grew up knowing because her dad worked in D.C. and was a was a war hero and everything else, and grew up and she so she grew up knowing like Madison's you know those people okay. she was in D.C. then but then they came back down to Nashville founded Nashville were run out by the Indians then came back and that's where she met Jackson. And she had divorced her husband, since divorced a husband, whatever, they were divorced, and then married Andrew Jackson. Well, during the campaign, they all alleged that she really didn't ever get a divorce. And actually, the guy she married tricked her and actually didn't ever get one. So she was portrayed. She was the first uh, wife of a candidate in American politics who was ever publicly disparaged. Right. And so they called her an adulteress and everything else. And it really destroyed her. I mean, she was wow, uh, that's, she's that's heavy wonderful, stuff. strong woman. Um, they adopted a little boy, uh, an Indian boy that that Jackson plucked right off of a battlefield. Yeah, there was a play I went down and saw at the Crandell that was a play yeah. about Jackson. They did cover that. That's yeah, really cool. t- t- I didn't know t- that. Took him right off the battlefield, and they adopted him. And and uh, and, and and then she uh, had her gown ready and everything. Uh, for the inauguration, and then they claim she died of heartbreak, but she died of a heart attack, but it was a heart failure. But a lot of it was due to her depression over being disparaged. It was the first time it ever had ever happened where anybody wow. was publicly humiliated in that fashion. So A she, smear campaign, essentially. Like, yeah. The, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, so she, she died... Uh, a month before he was inaugurated, she was buried in her inauguration gown. Wow. Yeah. So by the time Jackson hit the White House, he was one pissed ready off rock, dude. Right. And he was ready to, mm-hmm. you talk about draining the swamp. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah. And he went up there and he absolutely just laid waste on his Did he remarry? No. No, 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 no. Right. Uh, and... and wow. Uh, he he basically was, uh, and that's where you know when when they when you say uh, to the victor go to the spoils or the spoil system, it's called the spoil system. Well, he went up there and basically just removed everybody who was in in any way, shape, or form remotely associated with Quincy Adams or mm-hmm. any of those people, and he just wiped everybody out and brought his own people in. Yeah. So he just you know, but he was he was a he was not happy. Right. Two he, terms? Uh, I think I it was two. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I should, don't know. I should read more history because it's interesting. Well, I was more, I'm more, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm more uh, focused on her, I've been, uh, I'm re- I've been obsessed with this relationship. They had a, they, you wouldn't believe, even the, as, as much as you might think that, that he was a, he was a cr- bad guy, um, it, boy, you read their love letters, man. They were in love. Uh, uh, they loved each other be- 
Bigly. <laughs> They're beautiful, though. Beautiful letters. He'd write her, and uh, she'd write him. And um, it was really hard on her because he was away a lot because he was in in the, in the war, right? You know, and um, so he was he was not a uh, always a pleasant. Here's that number for Doug. You got it. I've, I know Doug's probably wondering where the hell we are, <laughs> right there. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, something about the Jackson thing was really cool was that they talked about the Indian friend that he had that he was trying to make peace with the tribes and how he double double crossed him. I don't know if you know. Well, they were going to try to take him off. They were going to try to take him off the twenty because of all this stuff. Now, keep mm-hmm. in mind, this is a this is he's married into a family that was virtually had to leave because the Indians ran them out. There was no love lost between right. uh, these people and the Indians and stuff like that. It was kind of it was a little crazy, and so um, you know. It, it it there's some of this stuff obviously that's why they were trying to take him off the twenty because they said he was you know mean to Indians. But I love that picture, man. You know they're they're um, she uh, they're they're they bear they're both buried with one of their slaves down at the Hermitage. He's got a their 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 main slave. I'm not saying sl- that, that means right. slavery was cool. I'm just saying they were they had a, also a very tight relationship with their slaves. It doesn't make slavery better. I'm just saying that it was a measure of kind of their how they were, you know. Try one more time. But yeah, it was it was Monroe and Quincy Adams' wives who loved Rachel, but they did not like. I forgot to mention James Monroe and that little grouping there. Monroe came before Adams, John Quincy Adams. Is he not answering? Uh, it's doing that weird thing again, but I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll text him and see if he's there. I don't understand why that does that. But you imagine going up to D.C. and you're Rachel Jackson, and you're you know obviously involved in all this kind of stuff. Your husband's running for president, and um, the... And 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 you're up there in 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 this hoity-toity, eastern seaboard boardy thing, and even though she had experience up there before, she's still Appalachian. She goes up there and 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 she's smoking the pipe with these people. You imagine that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. The women loved her, uh, and and rightly so because she was a strong. Um, woman and 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 actually was very good for uh Andrew Jackson. She kind of kept him in line. You know, and she and she and she was uh she was great. I see I see Trey Gowdy. You like Trey Gowdy? I I don't understand his hair. I don't understand his head. Yeah. Nor his hair. We were close. And and he has a little beard now, oh, which makes him look rocking. kind of even uh the goatee. He yes, had, he yes, he looks like um, <laughs> Prince Albert in a can. <laughs> I'm trying to get him, bro. I don't understand why this isn't working. Yeah, I just text him, calling him now. But Skype is weird. We were supposed to have him on yesterday. You couldn't do it yesterday. So I said, I'll call you now. I'll call you Wednesday. And since I guess I didn't call at 830 because I was babbling on, I missed him. He's probably punishing me. Being passive aggressive, he's not returning my phone call now. Oh, I see. I know what he's doing. I see how you are. I just won't call. I just want to answer the phone. What number did you call? Doug Giles. 
Waiting to it says waiting for Doug to accept invitation. That's Jug what, Giles. I don't what understand. Call? I'm gonna call him. I'm calling him. When you call him, are you calling him on Skype? Right? Jamie. Dougie. How are you, buddy? Having telephone and internet problems. Oh, okay. What's what we thought? Because we were trying to call you on Skype, and, and I can't, uh, can't get you. Are you... So... I, have no, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just coming into the main house to check crap okay well are you are you available you want to just try to move this to tomorrow yeah let's do it tomorrow man i'm trying to get my editors all their crap and, okay and, uh, and currently melting down okay buddy listen your posters are sh- should be in your hands today i'm hoping they are i'm sorry i kind of dropped the ball on that also uh so so tomorrow 8 30 right yep all right brother hopefully okay man <clears throat> thanks for time yeah, see you right. doug Josh. stay rowdy doug that's how Such that a cool dude. He is a cool dude. Oh, man. man. He's, he's a cool dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never smoked more cigars in my life than I was in that in that oh. period of time. Were they good cigars? They were good. I mean, okay. it made me kind of want to continue. Like, now mm. I, I, I kind of, I kind of uh, did head that off at the past, that whole cigar thing, because, you know. Like on Father's Day, I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to have a cigar out here near the pool. Then I realized it was like, yeah, but the kids are there. And blah, blah. You know, I was like, you know, maybe that's not such a good idea. Um, not that I don't want them to see me. But it just didn't seem. Yeah. But I really wanted one. It was Father's Day, man. You should have had one. I know, dude. Leave me alone. I'm sorry. I should have had one. <clears throat> but I did. I just, I should have. But I, I don't know. I just was, I was near the pool. It was hotter than hell. It was just kind of, you know, I was kind of like sitting out there and I don't know. It was kind of, I guess I could sit in my lawn chair and do that dad thing. But I got some, uh, all I wanted to do on Sunday was just I wanted to work out early so I could fill up my pool cooler and put some beer in there. And drink some beer because I normally don't. I'm not an I'm not an all day beer drinker guy, but I decided that was going to be the vibe. So I put some some beer in there, drank some beer, drank some Budweiser, drank some Kreftig, you know. Yeah. Um, do you drink beer? No, I do not like beer. I'm sorry. And anybody that says you know this is a really good one, this is a special, whatever, it's just all the same to me. So I don't appreciate beer. I should. Like, what is it about beer? Like, I'm not saying it's weird that you don't like beer, but I've never met anybody who, like, like really doesn't like beer. Now, um, like, I, but I, I can see how you would not like beer. Really? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, because, because, you know, the beers you're exposed to now, like, I, I'm more, I still, I try as I might to do the whole pale ale thing yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. I really, Always wind up going back to the old lager deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's really where I can I'm, I can you know exist. But I don't need. But there are people now drinking. They're drinking beer that has like eight percent alcohol mm-hmm. in. You know. Yeah, I'm a lightweight too, so I can't really handle alcohol very well. Yeah, I don't do it well. 
I mean, I just I want I, and and frankly, I really want to have like ten of them and not just two. So yeah, my drummer can drink a lot and still stand and walk and talk. Yeah, I I really can't do that, but <clears throat> but people uh, drinking porters and the last alcohol I liked was Little Kings. If that tells you, oh I yeah, could, Little Kings Cream Ale. I could dude, I could drink those because you could, yeah. We used to find those in the in the we find, used to find empty bottles of Little Kings in the bathroom at U City. In school, yeah, the black dudes loved it. Wow, little king's cream ale, man. Yeah, one chug, it's gone. You know, well, yeah. yeah, because they were little bottles. That's a quickie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart. Yeah, well, now they they they, they love that. <laughs> they love them some little kings there at U City High. <laughs> and then they had uh, then, of course, you have. Uh, I don't know why it is though, because I like Colt Forty Five. Wow. I mean, I, and I and I'm not black. That's malt liquor, right? That's yeah, the, that's. Yeah, but I like Colt Forty Five. I love it. I, Colt Forty Five. Their their billboards. Have you seen their billboards? Or what their what their tagline is? Works every time. <laughs> yeah, I remember I mean, that. You might as well. <laughs> but you might as well just. You, but why? Why not just admit that that's what that's all about? You know. <laughs> Works every time. Works every time. Colt Forty Five. <laughs> you know. I didn't work over at Bartles and James. I think that uh, that's a Colt Forty Five thing. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah, oh yeah, Barley. But there there are people who there are people who drink beer and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a whiskey to them, you know. And, mm-hmm. and and they and like I I really like beer. And to me, you know, I don't I don't mind using beer as an alcohol delivery system. Right. You know, and, and a lot of and that, and that's what sometimes they call like Bud Select, you know. Because the, especially the people who are the real beer connoisseurs. Yes. But I like Bud Select. So I don't mind that. Do you like beers you can't see through? The dark, dark no. stuff? Right. I don't like that stuff. I just get a headache from it. So I'll tell you one thing. The person who, the, there's, there's one person who I've met who was a dark beer fanatic and would drink the thickest, darkest beers mm-hmm. in the land. And her name is Aisha Khan, and she's a Muslim. So, wow! There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's like a they're like a shake. I've had one one time. I couldn't even finish it. It felt like I had a meal. It was. It's like people want the head on it. It's like why do you want right. foam on the top mm-hmm. of your beer? Yep. And some people do, man. Some people really know. You know, there are people. Some people make their beer in the basement and that kind of thing. I never. I have a friend who does that. <laughs> And then, and the only downside of that is they always want to share it with you. Here, try this beer. Mm-hmm. Tastes like molasses. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but I don't want my beer to taste like molasses. <laughs> Here, it tastes. It's a taste like it's a it's a fusion of chocolate and caramel. It's like <laughs> I don't want my beer to taste like chocolate and caramel. This one's peppermint. You taste the broccoli notes in this one. It's like, um. Really, stop this. <laughs> I'll have a Miller Lite. Thank you very much. <laughs> my, my, we used to drink uh, when we were in, um, when, when we were in the, you know, everybody would steal beer from their parents. But my parents would buy, um, my dad was a Falstaff drinker mm. before Falstaff went away. And then was a Bush drinker. Never really was a Budweiser guy. And I'd I'll never the one one of the reasons one of the things I used to love doing is as I used to be the person who would get him a beer, 
but I would also be treated to be able if I opened a beer for him, I would get the first sip of the oh. beer. Oh, and um, mm. I was probably seven or eight. Okay, <laughs> but let me tell you something. Mm. Uh, that taste of the cold beer right after I opened it, right yeah. off the top, out of the top of the. Pulled tab can. You liked it. You liked was it. Was delicious. Okay, so I had the same story. So my grandfather was the guy doing it, sitting on his lap, let me taste a beer, and I hated it. So, and it's been the same ever since. So, you loved it the first time you tried it. I hated it the first time I tried it, and still do. And just not my thing. And here's the thing: looking back, I even think I think I was small enough at one point because I remember. Being able to walk up to him while he's sitting on a chair, and him, he would take his he would take his his beer can, his left beer can, and just pour a little in my mouth. So I was, I must have been, you know, <laughs> four. <right? laughs> I'm just trying to think. It's like, damn, I was probably small enough. How did that? Because that's what I remember is him, kind of, you know kind of halfway tilting his beer and a little bit would go in my mouth. Wow. <laughs> it's probably not a good story to tell. It's pretty awesome. I think it's awesome. But I wonder whether or not this Blake now we know why you why you turn out the way you are. Yeah, James. this is telling. Yeah, sharing. I know. It's good sharing. Well, I'm not a teetotaler, that's for sure. Probably could use a little more discipline in that category. You know what I'm saying? A teetotaler. That's an awesome word. I don't hear that very often. I love that word. No, it is a good word. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a good thing, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a good word. It's an awesome word. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Horrible way to live. Awesome word. <laughs> hey, guess how old Walter Mondale is? He's still alive. Yeah, you, still you know alive. That. Yeah. 93? That's close. He just turned 90 this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who will be the next Walter Mondale? Anyway, Gowdy, the one thing I never – Trey Gowdy, he was like, he's really good, and I compare him to Foghorn Leghorn, you know. I see, I see. <laughs> Love Foghorn Leghorn. Foghorn Leghorn was, a real, was, was really a great character. Um, yeah. Now, now I gotta play you before I do Gowdy, I gotta play you some fog right <laughs> You know what'd be cool? You, and you gotta know there's somebody out there whose dad or grandpa was the one on the marimbas. <sighs> Right, no kidding. Can you imagine that? Amazing. Or yeah. one of the horns. <laughs> like, like, like. There's somebody out there who could, who, who's able to tell you while you're sitting there next to the pool at some random vacation. Yeah, my dad was a my that my grandfather played the horns in the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes or whatever they call it, uh, open. Somebody can say that out there. Do you think that would be interesting to talk to those people or not? Is it that interesting? It's probably not interesting.
the same thing. Well, they, they beat the crap out of each other in these cartoons. Oh. Yeah. I mean, vicious beatings. Yeah. I just want to hear Foghorn Langhorn talk here. I see, I see. Come on. Talk, Foghorn Langhorn. Stop hitting people. He's mostly just singing here. All right, so now we'll get to uh, to Trey Gowdy here, and, and I guess he doesn't really sound like Foghorn Langhorn, but I just like to think it the 2017. One day later, Mr. Horowitz. One day later, Peter Strzok is back on his phone texting some more. Have you seen this video, by the way? <clears throat> no, it's I hear people talking about it though. Five minutes long, about mm-hmm. six minutes long. And it's a great example of how awesome it is when you have former prosecutors who become lawmakers and they wind up on a committee. And you can always tell the former prosecutors because they're really good at their line of questioning and they're really good at what they do. And Gowdy is just money here. For me, in this case, I personally have a sense of unfinished business. I unleashed it with the Clinton email investigation. Now I need to fix it and finish it. Fix what? Uh, Well, there is outlined in the report what Mr. Strzok's explanation for. Oh, I know what he says. I'm asking the the guy who had a distinguished career in the Southern District of New York and had a distinguished career at the Department of Justice. Uh, Would you rather cross-examine Peter Strzok on that explanation or would you rather direct the examination on that? That's two guys who were two two, uh, hard-ass prosecutorial guys uh, being Furbies with each other. (laughs) I say, would you rather cross-examine him or this is how how prosecutors geek out with each other? (laughs) Uh, would you rather cross-examine I, Peter Strzok on that explanation, or would you rather direct the examination on that explanation? Uh, probably cross-examine. I mean, so I mean, I, I, I have no idea what that means, but I know it means something. Yeah, there's probably an attorney out there who knows exactly what that means. But just the mere—I don't even know what it means—but the mere fact that these had that exchange is awesome. Or would you rather direct the examination on that? Explanation. Uh, probably cross examine. That's what I thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Me too. Right. It's like, what? What we got? What does that mean, you guys? Yeah. Tell me. How uh, about finish it? When he said, "I unleashed it. Now I need to fix it and finish it." What do you think he meant by finish it? I think, in the context of the emails that occurred in August and the prior August that you outlined, I think. Um, a reasonable explanation of it or a reasonable inference of that is uh, that he uh, believed he would use or potentially use his official authority to take action. But this is 24 hours into him being put on the Mueller probe. Wow. 
There's no way he possibly could have prejudged the outcome of the investigation. Maybe he did. Maybe that's the outcome determinative bias that my Democrat friends have such a hard time finding. Uh, Inspector General Horowitz, if one of your investigators talked about Lisa Page and Peter Strzok the way they talked about Donald Trump, would you have left them on the IG investigation? Uh, No. Did you ever have an agent when you were a prosecutor with this level of bias? Uh, You know, as I've laid out, he was completely antithetical to the core values of the department and extremely serious. Yeah. So see the whole thing. It's really good. It's only six minutes and you'll you'll love it. That's good stuff right there. That's lawyer porn. People are like uh, that's Trey's that's Trey's best day probably ever it's in a long time. He's got him right where he wanted him. He started this whole thing. He's right the way he said it in the beginning. Right on. It's it's this is his moment. So he gets pretty intense too. It's really great. Yeah. I would hate to be mm. you know. Oh, can you imagine under <laughs> his? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'd hate to be in in his grasp. Who is he talking to? Is it because Horowitz struck wants to tr- struck wants to testify? He's said yeah. He, okay, so. Yeah, so that's so it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. OK. And I, ho- I, I want to see Trey Gowdy mm. leave him in a heap. Yeah. The other video I didn't get to, and I, I guess I'll get to it tomorrow because we'll have time to go through it. Uh, do you ever see Guardians of the Galaxy? I did. I loved it. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, great soundtrack. The second one was pretty good, too. The soundtrack wasn't as great. I didn't see the second, the second one. one, but I've seen the but, first one. But uh, it's a great movie. And Chris Pratt uh, was oh, at yeah. MTV. And he actually is being being uh, congratulated on a bit that he did there regarding the uh, morsels of wisdom for the next generation. Um, and, and it was really bizarre to see for a lot of people at an entertainment award show a person from Hollywood who is steeped in a dedication to the country the way Chris Pratt is. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So we'll talk about it tomorrow because, I mean, that's one great great thing about the show is you might be able to see it uh, and you might have already seen it. Somebody might have already talked about it, but they didn't dig into it the way way we can here at Radio Free Almond from the Discovery Design Studios. So we appreciate uh, you for joining us and you... uh, Hanging out with us, and I will, as usual, have to find my theme. I always forget that it's the end of the show, dude. And what are we going to do about that? You know what I mean? It's the Rachel Jackson conversations that got you all. Yeah, was her name Rachel? Rachel Jackson. Yeah. Rachel well, Donaldson. I'm going to read Jackson. about her. I'm going to read about her, man. You know what? Let me tell you something. I can guarantee you that whatever you read about her, um, you you won't read anything quintessential about her until you read what I write about her. Okay. I'm just telling you. That's what I meant. It's I my promo wait. for my book. Right. I want to be the first, I want to be the galley copy of that. I want to, I want to proofread it. I'm a great proofreader. She could have been, she actually could have been, in my opinion, if you were looking for the first female president, mm-hmm. she could have, she could have pulled that off big time. Big time. You know? Sounds I like wanted, she had the connections, that's for sure, from her early years. Yeah, it was a, fa- she's a fascinating woman, really. And it's just such a sad story, too. 
never got to she worked so hard and was and was so dedicated to yeah. Andrew Jackson and and went through such hell and then never saw him inaugurated. Yeah. It's a sad thing. Wow. But anyway, I don't want to leave you on a sad note cuz she was inspirational to many, including me. Everybody. Good morning this morning. All right, thanks for joining us Phil. Take care buddy. Appreciate See you. you. Man. Yeah. In the evening breeze Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood tree